people of Earth, if you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch anime chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the left to F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, Listen up, fanboy. Live from the Fairmont Hotel in downtown San Jose, it's the Fanboy Planet Podcast with Derek McCaw and his pals. That's what, that's, oh, that's fantastic. I feel like it's a, we're almost Saturday like a, morning. Or, I would say, weekday afternoon <laughs> cartoon show. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's Uncle Derek and his pals. That's right. And we've got our pals. We've got... Uh, uh, who, and, and these ones are going to show up in another segment entirely tonight. Uh, so, and again, you'll have to introduce yourselves, but... I'm Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and of course, giving me an announcer tonight because we can't, you have Wi-Fi and call, dial Nate Standing in. in for Nate Costa, it's Rick Brett Snyder. But we have two <laughs> special guests with us as we're recording at the Fairmont in the midst of CineQuest. Please introduce yourselves, special guests. Special guest, Corbin Billings, reporting for duty. I'm the director of a documentary here called Bite Size and an avid Marvel fan. I love DC as well, but Marvel's Alrighty. my jam. <laughs> I'm, I'm Matt Jackson. I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a director of uh, Love and the Time of Monsters. And I'm a huge, huge, huge Marvel fan. And we're going to hear from Matt a little That's bit later. We have a segment with Matt later, yeah. but we had to sit him down because, uh, one, I like having... I, I, I wanted Corbin here because it's proof. <coughs> he made a documentary that is, is not in any way, shape, or form shape? related... Well, maybe shape. <laughs> to uh, fanboys. Shape, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a, I recognize some painful truths uh, <laughs> watching Bite Size this evening. Um, but anyway, uh, to prove that our fandom does reach out, which is a point I've been making is we won, we're everywhere, we're in all walks of life, and we're not just wearing t-shirts. Uh, but it was funny because mentions. both of us ran into Corbin at different times, and we both got engaged in comic books without any, <laughs> without any t-shirts or anything that said, I'm a comic book fan. Right. Which yeah. is funny. We ended you, up guys, you guys don't wear that shirt? Because I'm wearing that shirt right now. Yeah, it's you you kind of are. I, yeah. I, wear, I wear it underneath all I of have, my shirts. I have all <laughs> yeah. Oh, I am wearing Marvel underwear. Yeah. So, uh, yes. Wow. Yeah. Too much information. Four is on my thighs. Um, <laughs> And because, because they're large thighs, they're really Thor. Uh, so, anyway, we do have some movie stuff to talk about later, which is uh, interviews. This is a fantastic podcast. If you didn't catch this from like your iTunes description, we have tonight interviews with Neil Gaiman. We have interviews with Matt and his crew for Love in the Time of Monsters. And we have, I don't know what Neil Gaiman was promoting himself. And that's enough. Life and death. Yes. Actual, profound, <laughs> wise words for life and creativity from Neil Gaiman. And we also have the crew from Eternity, the movie. But first, let's talk. Uh, actually, we'll talk comics first, then we'll get into a bit about Bite Size, okay? That sounds great to me. You're I'd gonna, love to talk comics. I mean, I've been we'll, talking the film all day. We're going to lure you into a false sense of security. I think that, that sounds great. Uh, but first... A happy meal. Okay, so anyway, uh, <laughs> now that's a point I'll make. I later watching Bite Size, I saw I saw some things there. So um, we are, of course, uh, first of all, we did not really get a chance to talk about comics last week at all because last week's podcast was a special interview with 
Harry Knowles. So oh, uh, wow. yeah, we are we are on a geek roll right Yo, now. Yo, that ain't that now. cool. That just uh, oh. we hope oh. it was cool. oh. low, low hanging fruit. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Um, we're going to talk some comics news. First of all, IDW announces week, and I'm glad that uh, Rick put this on the itinerary because I got very excited seeing this from IDW. Of course, at Cinequest, been too busy to update some of these things on the site. Uh, that they have reached a deal with Harlan Ellison to adapt the original teleplay for City on the Edge of Forever as a brand new Star Trek comic. Which, wow. which, if people who have read the book or are even familiar with the uh, series, it, it was very much changed from Harlan's original screenplay to what was actually filmed. Well, it's been one of those huge controversies in television history where he, from the moment that show was broadcast, was complaining loudly, which is so unlike Harlan Ellison, uh, <laughs> but was complaining loudly about what they had done to his script. Right. So, he did another one, uh, City in the Clouds? No, Cloudminders. The Cloudminders. Right. Um, where he actually did, a, he did give him the Cornwainer bird for that one, didn't I he? I think he did. So, yeah. uh, can I, emphasis on the bird. Can I, can I instantly undercut my geek knowledge for a second? You don't know sure. City on the Well, I, I know it, I've seen it, and I know that there's a controversy behind it, but I don't know necessarily I've what. done my homework, I can tell you. I love because, it. Yes. So, the original script by Ellison was much more edgy. But hang on for a second. For those listening who don't even know what we're talking oh, that's about, right. this is a very famous episode for a couple of reasons. Um, this is the one with Joan Collins. Uh, and uh, so everyone recognizes yeah, it from this. This is the one where they no, no, they do because no, 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 it's known for being with Joan Collins, where uh, Kirk and Spock and McCoy travel back to the Depression era United States, and uh, it, one of those strange uh, plot twists they don't use on Star Trek very often. Kirk falls in love with the female guest star. <laughs> and, uh, when does well, that be, happen? Because they had gone back and t- well, I'll, I'll tell you the, the whole story. So in the original script. Um, there was drug use on the Enterprise, and an overdose caused one of the crew to go crazy and go back in time. They switched that up, and they made and it McCoy an accidental actually injects himself accidental injection <laughs> of of this medicine that McCoy goes insane and runs down to the transporter, which is above a planet where there is the where there is the Guardian of Time. Yes, and he jumps through, and the moment he jumps through. Everything goes away. They can't contact the Federation. There's no. There's no rat. There's nothing out in space. They figure out that he has changed the past. Yes. They're insulated because they're on that planet. Yes. But then Kirk and Spock go back in time to see what's going on with with what what he changed to try and undo it. Right. Now, as I said, the Ellison story was really difficult for Paramount, for Desilu to do, because it was just going to be incredibly expensive. There was a lot of special special effects, special sceneries that they had to cut out, so it got trimmed down. But some of the edgier stuff were, had to do with drug use, had to do with Kirk actually, actually considering to let the Federation go. So Kirk is actually considering letting the entirety of history go so he can stay with Edith Keeler. And they, How I, unselfish of him! Right, <laughs> which which in the in the actual teleplay, he's not certain which way he's going to go, and his impulse is to save her, but Spock holds him back, and he relaxes. He doesn't actually try and keep her from dying. So, Ellison, like like Derek said, no. Ellison has complained a lot about the uh, 
Yeah, no, I'm thinking actually the way it ends is that Kirk holds McCoy back because McCoy says, I could have saved her. Right, no, you're correct. That's Kirk why they, actually they switch it around. Back. You're yeah, right, yeah. right, right. So, um, which, is, which is different than the way it had been. So, and when I was a small child, my favorite ending because it's what Kirk swears at the end. Let's get the hell out of here. It's not beat me up, Scotty. <laughs> oh, it's nice. not, you know, so it's a very, I mean, what made it a television was dark and intense and blew my mind when I was And it has no, sure. there's like nothing after that. It, it's like a silent ending. Yes, it is. That. That's it. He just goes. Is he going to give you better? It'll take time, you know. Yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. You know. It's, it's, it is dark. Um, you're arguing about the special effects, though. I've heard Harlan Ellison actually say, that's not there at all. There's, you know, it's yeah. like. No, that was the complaint that, that the director yeah. did. So, I mean, they did have to build a brand new plot. They had to do a lot of stuff with rebuilding, with doing a lot of uh, additional costuming that they wouldn't have. But they had to pull that stuff just from other lots and build yeah. up this uh, this New York. Most of it was set in the past. So they didn't use any of the regular sets through the bulk of the show. Hmm. So, Yeah. So, but now, IDW, which has been making a killing with this little Star Trek empire, better than DC or Marvel, sorry guys, uh, ever was able to do. Uh, certainly better than Gold Key. Uh, they've got so <laughs> many different series concurrent. I also forgot to mention that, you know, um, on IDW Star Trek news, last week they announced that after John Byrne had put together a photo novella, like sequel to uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before, they're giving him free reign to use all the stills he wants to create an ongoing series of Star Trek Fumetti, basically. So they did that with Bantam books, too. Yes, they, they had did. a For, number of. But of those were Fumettis. actual episodes being adapted right. into photo novellas. That this is actually, he's going to take the stills and, and create new them. plots. Yeah. Huh. So. Wow. It's like blew a. Your mind. Yeah, yes. retro engineering of a storyline. Yes. So. IDW is they're milking that cash cow as much as they can, and you can see some samples, sample uh, pages from this on their on their site as well. Right, Looks yes, good. yes. Um, Check that out. So let's talk about the comics one because that's really the big. Uh, oh, also today, Marvel and Disney announced their next Disney Kingdom book. Your wife liked it. Oh, sorry. I, I, I've been so <laughs> I, I've been watching films all day, and I have you read Secrets of the Weird. The Marvel book that huh. is the first Marvel Disney crossover. Uh, no, but I know about collaboration. it. Collaboration. Yeah, I have two issues in now. There right? are two yeah. issues in. Uh, they announced, and this means nothing to me. I admitted on the site because I have never been to Disney World. But Figment is. Oh there. my oh, I God! Did see that. Wait, oh, by Fred Van Lent. Tay. Fred... Uh, I don't. I no. don't know. That's it. I don't think that's who's writing it. But uh, go I, ahead. I, I didn't yeah. See it. No, I was. Uh, there was always a real uh, comparison for me, at least growing up and going to Epcot and seeing Figment, uh, and then seeing uh, Shadow Cat's uh, companion that is uh, always following her around with X Men, oh, the Purple oh, Dragon. Actually, somebody yeah. made Lockheed. Somebody made that comment yeah. on our fa- on our fa- uh, Facebook page was I'd better see a Lockheed cameo. Right. Uh, <laughs> which I don't think these are supposed to be taking place. <laughs> and we're back because we got interrupted by the uh, the Fairmont but we are a way pod- too loud and lousy sounding We band. are a podcast <laughs> that thinks on its feet. We're mobile. Uh, we should have some kind of acronym for it. Uh, I always so, say it's a uh, solution-based agenda. Wow. Yeah. You sure yeah. you work up here? <laughs> Standard SBA. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, there we are. We were <laughs> so, in the midst of talking about Figment right. uh, yes. and the Dreamfinder, and so it's getting to get into the origin of the Dreamfinder. And uh, while we were walking up the stairs, Matt looked it up. 
Uh, Jim Zub is Jim the Zub. writer, yes. And from, so, uh, from Skull Kickers. Skull Kickers, which I've not read, but from Image, right? So uh, anyway, we're very excited to see a second series out of that, and, and, and the cover looked fantastic. Uh, so, but again, it's a character that meant nothing to me. You know, I knew people cool. wanted it. He, he looks cool and all that, but I've never ridden the ride, and if the ride even exists anymore, I, I don't It know. doesn't exist anymore, but, but it, no, it, it basically harps on uh, the power of imagination. Well, <laughs> where, was it, where was it in the, It was in Epcot. Yeah. It was in Epcot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I do know that this last year at D23, Tony Baxter was... Uh, awarded Disney legend status and one of the awards they gave him because he basically created this the Imagineer was actually one of the figment figures from oh, the ride cool. that had been oh. and that's what he wanted for it he's not retired quote unquote but he is on sort of like consultancy basis and so the, you know they, they gave him the figure for his home wow it's good to see that character coming back yeah he was uh, big big for me in my childhood I had a thing with dinosaurs and yeah I don't know well it makes sense I thought it was <laughs> I just didn't know you know what it was people talk about figments and well what just, is it about you you know the most about it Oh my gosh, well, all that I can really uh, remember and recall from the ride is that you'd like be going through in a tram system, there was a wizard that he was paired with, uh, and that essentially it was uh, sort of like a uh, borderline acid trip, as well as you can get across <laughs> with, uh, with Epcot. Laser light show, and uh, yeah, and then child, once again, I know that it was sort of similar to It's a Small World in the, in the shape of the ride, but it was basically all the songs about imagination. Uh, okay. I don't know much more than that. Was Robin Williams the voice of the Dreamfinder? The yes, the, actually, that's exactly so right. So the high celebrity thing, too. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. So uh, yeah, they're they're moving forward with that. Very excited. So let us look at the books that that Rick really wanted to talk about this week. Uh, uh, you want to talk about last week? Or you want to talk about let's this talk week about yet? last week. Last week was more interesting. This week, no, we had Warren Ellis. No, I'll, do the, I'll do the quick for this week. So okay. this week we've got the uh, five of six. We're running down the trial of Green, Jean Grey and all new X Men, and then crossing over a lot. Time of is the, still broken in Marvel. Yeah, yes. uh, no, actually, no, I don't think it's well. It's yeah. It's Look, still if broken, Jean Grey is the Jean Grey from 1963, she's on broken. trial now for something she hasn't done yet. Well, what's sad is that <laughs> for, for the longest time, the Guardians of the Galaxy were were fixing all these problems that were happening in space-time that arguably were because of things that were happening on Earth where we were yeah. abusing you know, Doctor Strange and all the rest. And they kind of dropped that, and I thought it was kind of an interesting thing. And now, and the fact that the you have the younger X-Men in present time should be causing more, more friction in that, that space, but I guess they just dropped it. From the, uh, Especially as they're about to send Cyclops out with his father, Corsair, and the Space Jammers. Yeah, that's or Star good. Jammers, yes. They're setting them home. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> third issue of Ego, Earth Galactic Operatives. This I raved about a couple of, uh, couple of weeks yes, ago. Yes, you did. And uh, so that's, that's looking good. Still magnificent art inside. We got The Secret Avengers. Uh, issue one, Save the Empire, arc one for Marvel Now. Yes, that's right. Uh, it's all new Marvel Now. It's Marvel all, Now was in September. All, all oh, new. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel Now keeps rippling through the uh, Marvel Universe. And this is the one, this is the book that, uh, the art is a little weird, but they, this is supposed to be a permanent home for Agent Colson. At least as permanent as anything. <laughs> More permanent yeah. than probably Shield. You mean Son of yeah. Cole. Or Agents of Shield. As Sif called cool. him last night. Yes. Son of Cole. That was good. Uh, <laughs> so. That was a great effort. Are we going to talk about that today? We can. Okay. Honestly, well, I haven't seen it. I, I, have, I haven't seen it. I have a I have mixed feelings with that show. I, I just We'll get there. I, I we'll get there. Yeah. We'll, we'll come back to that. So then we got Spider, uh, Superior Spider-Man, Goblin Nation Part 3, as we... 
start the ramp up back to uh, status quo with Peter Parker so that we can be in sync with the movie that comes out. And it's so surprising to everyone at yeah. this table. I right. was thinking, no, Doc Ock will be Spider-Man forever. Yeah, of course. As all those people that said they will never read Spider-Man again. Job. I know, I know. <laughs> that was the thing. He was right. He is superior. <laughs> Man. Uh, yeah, except our, for the henchmen and the, and the, the surveillance. Yeah, well, and the surveillance. I'm willing to let it go. Got a little trouble with that? <laughs> We're willing to sacrifice our privacy for a safe Manhattan. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin I would sense, love you both. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did that a woman be president? No, I'm sorry, that's a S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> reference uh, from last night. So we've got uh, the Star Wars issue 6. I'm not sure how far this is supposed to run. Is it supposed to 12. go 12? I okay. think they're doing 12. So we've got Anakin Starkiller, Lost in the Forbidden System. Those are the kind of titles they used to have in the original Marvel run of yeah, sorry, yeah. Lost in the Forbidden System. Well, right. again, as I've said, have you ever actually read that original screenplay, which was I did read the painful to get yeah, through, it was, um, it was and yet fun? Have you ever read uh, it? I haven't. Oh, the I Star Wars the, back when it's when it's an Google ep- it and find when it it's uh, an adventure in the Journal of the Wills. Oh yeah, Star Maze Window. W H I L L S, and uh, yeah, it's um, it's quite a um, self indulgent thing and it's long and it's you know and it was unfilmable there's just no way there are great ideas but boy yeah so i a 12 issue miniseries sure but marvel could do it in six um it's like <laughs> name that star wars adaptation boom, boom, i can do so that the last the last noteworthy book from this week is east of west it's 10 fantastic which east just west. again proves that Kick, hickman kicks ass when it comes to putting books out on time great books everything he writes is Precious. I think he's like Charles Soule. They're not sleeping, and uh, I, they're just like yeah. you know, they're writing with two hands, two different <laughs> computers. Going to, <laughs> the guy, the guy is over here. Um, pardon me, no, that's no, it's not. No, no, uh, James Robinson's, Robinson's back in there. I'm, I'm like, I'm rippling back through time myself. Yeah, don't um, but east of west. So last week, though, last week, you Warren and I, Ellis, you and I gushed over. We were going to say this. Warren Ellis uh, revived Moon Knight. Did you guys pick that up? I did. I did. I, I, Moon Knight's one of those characters that I've always wanted to love a lot. Every time he's, no, well, he's got the design right. for it. He's I so cool. Really well, the, so, so I started reading in the '90s. So I, okay. I, when I when I went to the store, I saw this like weird white cloak thing. I was like, "This is awesome!" And I'd pick it up, and I'd be like, eh, "It's not so awesome." He's had a lot of iffy iffy yeah. series. And every yeah. time I uh, lately, I picked up the uh, what was the one after the Charlie Houston run? The Bendis one? Where no, the before the Bendis one. Oh, that I that know. one right in the middle. So. Jo- oh. uh, yeah, Jerome Opina was doing the art, and it was awesome. It started. I, I wasn't expecting it, and it, it, it. I loved it. It was. It was uh, Moon Knight being a superhero, like a full-on superhero fighting the Scarecrow, and it was great. Yeah. And then the Bendis one I read on the uh, on the the Marvel app. The Bendis one I read on the Marvel app uh, a few a uh, few months ago, and it's it's good. I mean, it had some ideas in it, but I really like. Yeah. I like Moon Knight as like this weird character, and that's what I liked about Ellis's take. Is the that first it, it, one is crazy yeah. good because it's oh, it's all the Moonlight Essentials. You know, you have the beginning where he at the the foot of the the god in the temple, the he dies and yes. he's revitalized, and he goes back, and he's got the multiple personalities, and they all work. It's almost like he's a one man shadow team. You know, yeah. the shadows yeah. team, but he plays all the roles, and they played that through for quite a while until it kind of played out. This looks like it could it could get back into that that original 
coolness. Can I, can I tell you what I would love to see? I would love to see the original, original Moon Knight take, where he's a villain of werewolves. That the reason why he dresses like a moon is because he's trying to scare off werewolves. When the Jack Russell... Uh, yeah, yeah, his first appearance yeah. when he was yeah. just like yeah. hired to be like this... like Which was uh, alluded to on the Blade series, television series. Was it really? That, yeah, that they wow. First was this well, it was a reaction to how popular Blade had been in the well, Dracula series. Uh, yeah, and, well, oh, and, and, oh, and interesting. But, but in the television series, somebody said, when Randy Quaid guested, somebody <laughs> said like, well... You know, vampires are real. Next thing you're going to tell me, werewolves are real. And he, and he goes, my my uh, compatriot, Mark Spector, would have a thing or two to tell you about <laughs> oh, that. Oh, that's, that's amazing. But that show never, it, you know, didn't get past the first season to develop Moon Knight. But it was clear that was... But it was another one of, those, one of those introductory characters, almost like the uh, the Wolverine was in Hulk. You know, they, oh, yeah. They, yeah. You know, they had this character, the kind of throwaway idea, idea then it kind of caught on a little bit. But they, it, yeah. he wasn't really cool until he brought him out in all new x Giant size X Men, right, right, mm. yeah, and Moon Knight actually. It's funny you say Hulk because then he was the backup in the Ma- Hulk magazine. You're right. Yes, oh, that's yeah. where I first encountered yeah. him, rampaging Hulk. That crazy rampaging Hulk, oversized one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, the, with the the Martians invading. And stuff. <laughs> Not by the time I got there, but by the time you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. But so yeah, it was. I thought it was a good, a great take. I liked the art. I liked everything about yeah. it. I thought it was I, a fun. Fun book, and I bought the first issue of the Bendis one, and went, "Yeah, it's clever, but okay, I'm done." Yeah. And actually, Ellis on it, I'm I'm not done. So I want to see the uh, the other phases of the moon, if you will, because I mean that's kind of mm-hmm. the idea being set up. Yeah, he shows up in this issue is primarily in a white suit with the with the mask, Just the mask, yeah, riding around in a in a in a Google uh, Auto Drive uh, limousine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, and. Uh, and, it, it, and it's, it's, the, it's the perfect line. Cool. It's like, why it's, is he dressed in white? Because he likes to see. He likes it when people see him coming. Yeah, uh, it's it's it, it, it really anything drawn by Declan Shively, yeah. I'll buy. And written by Warren Ellis. Ever since uh, Next Wave, I just every every time he does something, yeah, I'm, Next I'm Wave all is over. great. Yeah. yeah, we need more Forbish man. Um, <laughs> and then uh, what we, what uh, Rick and I both read, but I guess you guys did not, was Starlight from I- uh, Image. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, Mark Millar and Goran Pavlov. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty was sure. Was there just one artist doing both styles? Yes. Okay. One artist doing both. Very, very flexible style. Very well done. Um, they originally Almost a went... Kaluta-like uh, style when he's on the... Yeah. Uh, yeah. The alien planet. And when they solicited this, they really they hammered home the Flash Gordon comparisons. And then I think somebody from King Features uh, leaned on them and they backed away. And I still think it's very Flash Gordon-ish. But no more than, as I said, John Carter. Well, it was a kind of a John Carter relationship with his paramour on the planet. She's like four feet taller than he is. <laughs> yeah. He's standing on a pedestal and she's still leaning down to him. And you're going... And they're having a relationship. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> well, it speaks to uh, John Carter's abilities. Yeah, yes. Yes. well, uh, yes. Uh, um, is, that, uh, is, that the, is that in the, the Miller World uh, continuity thing he's trying to build? I suspect it will be. Everything yeah. everything is. Because I think in the back they had, like, it, it actually kind of ruined it for me. Oh. Because. Um, well, they the talked one, about the King Features thing. Well, no, no, no. I mean, in the back he goes, there's, there's a. A thing of all the different Miller World titles, and by including it, by, by interconnecting them to me, is I get what he's trying to do because he's the one-man show trying to you know um, be bigger than any publisher. Right. He really, well, he, he really is. He wants to become Stanley, a genre unto himself, Stanley. Yeah. Uh, uh, and um, 
and, and, and part of it is they're so they're so different, and then it reminds me then the the series I really didn't like, uh, American Jesus, is mm. in there, and I read that. That's oh yeah, the, the Sean Murphy thing. I think so. Yeah. I think that's who they are as well. I just remember being like, by the time we got to the end of that uh, series, going being horrified by that, and they've taken out the other one, the one with the with the funny animals, because apparently that was so horrific. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the unnaturals, the unfun, the unfunnies. That's oh. what it was. Um, where like this. That's art, a great title. Yeah. This, yeah. Did you read it though? No. It, it's horrible. And it's like, and it's, it's like, like, what do you like, got that's not funny? <laughs> well, it's sort of like you know, if you were reading Howard Chaykin's that Buck Rogers that you enjoyed, that right. Howard Chaykin take, and you said Howard Chaykin's run on Star Wars, and maybe even this title. Oh, that's edgy. And then you said, you don't like that? How about Black Kiss? Boom. Ooh, yeah. and, and <laughs> Wait till I give this to my kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've had to hide that one a couple times where it's like, a, oh, that's accidentally on the top of my stack. Um, and then it's still no better than it was. You, know, so, you mean yeah, Black Kiss 2. Uh, Black Kiss 2, yes. Uh, that was horrific. Um, and, and the unfunniness was like that. It was these funny animals where suddenly like real world problems got introduced and they were like cheating on each other. There was rape. There was AIDS being introduced and they were dying of... Of this oh. sexy trend. Yeah. So See, good look at you. Your face right now, that's what you're reading this going, what the hell is wrong with this man? Well, it's, it's, very, it's a very true title. It's very it's unfunny. Not quite yeah. like it was Montana very... cat dancer, you know, back <laughs> Yeah, uh, Omaha, the cat Omaha. dancer. Omaha. Oh, my Omaha. God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had most of it. <laughs> but you were in Montana when you were reading it. That's totally <laughs> what it is. So, uh, uh, yeah, so anyway, but Starlight is really good. And uh, I thought it's clever to take a... a, a the swashbuckling spacefaring hero from Earth who goes back and lives out a normal life until the past comes calling, but very much, I you know, it, it just brought a lot of really cool, cool ideas to the fore, and I loved the art. The art was fantastic, so I was glad I bought it. I was sorry to see the reference to other Miller World titles in the back, you know. And it looks like though, I mean, the end of it made it look like they're gonna drop away from the what's this guy like on Earth. And yeah, no, no. no. I, now it's I be... just I, I, I. It's one of those endings where I don't want to go too deep into it because I want people to just buy it and find yeah. it out for themselves and go, "Oh, that was cool. That's a good idea." So, but I, I'd like to say to people, it's not going to be this whole kind of angsty thing where he's just like, "No, going it's from not." One CD well, and that's why otherwise I would not. I, that's why I would not. I would yeah. not enjoy it if that's what it is like. No. It's like, what happened to Flash Gordon in the retirement home? And then he exactly. yeah. comes in and says, ha-ha, I shall withhold your medication. Okay. Um, <laughs> Time to I, change your There, I pressed your colostomy back. Yeah. Actually, I would, I would totally read that book. I'm not lying. Like, Flash Gordon at <laughs> and, 80. Like, and, and me in the retirement, I should have got you. Yeah. You, would, you would take geriatric superheroes? No, there's a, oh, there's yeah, a great, I would totally read that the book. The colostomy <laughs> bag of Ming is not yours to give. You'd be amazing. Or to take. Philip <laughs> Jose Farmer did a story called uh, Great Heart's Silver, which is that exactly. It's like this dirigible uh, adventurer type in the retirement home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did yeah. read that. Wasn't that in Weird Heroes? Was it, was, it was serialized in Weird Heroes yes. first, and it's been published again since then. Yeah, okay. That was a good, that was a good one. Uh, back into the world Newtonism. And then we were talking, you and I were just talking about how of all the New 52, and I think I like dropped the New 52 to you and yeah. watched you flinch, as most people do. Yeah. <laughs> I think the same thing happened with yeah, the, no, the today. Uh, it's funny, it's like, it's like a calling card. How are you feeling about the New 52? I'm sorry, uh, but yeah. we're going yeah. on. It's, it's like, like uh, oh, I'm hoping it'll get better. Yeah, everybody <laughs> says that. And one thing that has is the crossover that's supposed to change the New 52 forever from the change it was two years ago, to uh, uh, <laughs> which is forever evil. I will say that the uh, I want to qualify this. 
for me, it's the Forever Evil core stuff that's go- that's running through the Forever. Oh, Evil yes, I'm book. sorry. Don't don't mistake me and, for saying this made the, the other Justice books League, enjoyable. The Justice okay. League. I do not like Forever Evil Blight that's running through uh, Justice League Dark, Pandora. I haven't read Stranger. any of those things yet. And the other one is the Arkham. Arkham War, which I read a little bit of, and you know, it's just Arkham like, War is just another. It's a, and I think it's, it's just it's another a, it's Arkham a, it's a, War. It's a re. It's another. It's another <laughs> Arkham War. Oh yeah. no, it, it's, it's it's a rehash to me of No Man's Land. Yeah, yeah. Mm. They've divided up Gotham sections of Gotham City. The villains are in charge. But so now that we clarified that, and even Rogue's awesome. Rebellion, but even Rogue's Rebellion, which I feel like how many times has Jeff Johns yeah. rebooted continuity and found a new way to tell the same the story about stories. the Rogues, and yet every time he does, it's like. Okay, it's still kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with it. But Forever Evil itself, that series, is great. It's got great art. It's got great writing. The characterizations are all spot on, but they're all intermingled in a way that you would never be able to believe that, that they would be believable. Yeah. Uh, Have you been reading it at all? Because no. Uh, I, so, I, I am biased towards Marvel. I've yes. been a Marvel reader forever. That's okay. That's okay. I tried. I tried to get into DC, and the thing I like most about DC is her legacy characters. I'm a huge Wally West guy. I'm a huge Kyle Rayner guy. So everything the New Fifty Two. Yeah, over. like yes. they they wiped out because the best thing about DC was was legacy was legacy. No, living, I would agree with that. Living in the shadow of the the great the great one before you, and then trying to make a name for yourself. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And the New 52 is like, yeah, we're going to get rid of all that and just make it really boring and like the 90s. But not the fun yeah. type of the 90s, but yeah. like the 94 to 96 90s. It'll be okay. You like the new suits. Which means the 97, oh. in 2015, it'll all work out. It'll oh, be yeah, fun. hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back around. around. <laughs> we'll start getting like Gotham Central and stuff. Sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, no, I agree with you. That's the thing that's even lost with Earth 2. They've revived Earth 2, and they've got this new version of the JSA. <laughs> And while it's an interesting thing to say, like, okay, what would Jay Garrick look like now if he was gaining his powers? I still miss that idea of Jay Garrick to right. Barry, mm-hmm. to Wally, to uh Here's the top end of yeah. that legacy. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. But Forever Evil is at least actually cha- changing things in an interesting way. If you're not familiar with it, then the crime syndicate, which, of course, comes out every every reality, uh, has, <laughs> ca- has invaded basically taken over the entire Earth. They've planned it perfectly well. They've added more Justice League characters. Actually, they've had in Justice League a sleeper character throughout right. this new version of the Atom. They hadn't introduced the Atom into the New 52 until she Psycho. showed up in <laughs> Justice League. And they said, oh, we've got new members in Justice League. Blah, blah, blah. About the same time. It was weird because the Avengers did exactly the same thing at the same time. We need to expand. So they did you read they, yeah. they did, like... Issue before the current one, I think it was. They did the origin of the what is she uh, called? Atomic or Atomica and Atomica and uh, Johnny Johnny Quick Johnny Quick. Yeah, and there were just like these these road uh, these like road ranging psychos. So it's basically natural born killers, natural born killers, and then they get, yes. and then they get their superpowers, and then they get the superpowers. Oh, so great. so Ato- the Atom is there as a sleeper agent. She betrays. They come in. They wipe out the Justice League. Lex Luthor got caught, like he was in the helicopter and he crashes and he realizes, holy crap, there's no Superman, which means it's up to me to actually save be the, the world's greatest, to finally yeah. save the Earth. And he'd been working on creating Bizarro for the new 52, so uh-huh. he's got, I will unleash my new Superman, realizes that that's not working because Bizarro is brain BZ Zero. BZ Zero. <laughs> and uh, so what they're you know aiming towards, and then they've captured Nightwing, and they unmasked Nightwing on... 
worldwide. They on every that, monitor. So Dick Grayson's that, that always identity that, is gone. That always sticks. And, and well, you know, sure. <laughs> and then Mephisto crosses over yeah. uh, thanks to Access. Remember him? Yeah, I remember uh, Access. Yeah. And, and no, but so far it's sticking. And the thing that they're planning is that Lex Luthor now, even though Superman's got to come back, that Lex Luthor's going to lead the Justice League. Because he'll be in a position of he kind of likes being a good the guy. accolades that come right. with being a good guy without necessarily liking being a good guy, but having to stand side by side with the thing that kept him from being a good guy the whole time. That's at least interesting. That's like the movie, you that's, know. That's, that's good well, dramatic tension. That reminds me of sort of the Injustice plot line when you've got him joining yes. along with Batman and the yep. regime. Or well, I have, a, the, I have no doubt there's is. a, I mean, because I know that Jeff Johns worked on that as well. Mm. I, I have no doubt that that's a, a character for some that he, right. kind of like, like how good, can I put that in the main. response to that thread so they want to pull yeah. it into the mainstream. Yeah, stream. which is fine because yeah. I, I really, you know, as much as I enjoy playing Injustice, and I, did you and I talk about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Great love playing Injustice. It's like the comic book and all that storyline. I don't want to read that. Sure, I just want to play sure, the sure. game and like, okay, that's the excuse for the shoot. Absolutely. You know? But, um, and we're back to, there's a thing. My son played that because Matt was asking me today, like, well, I'm not a father, but how do you do this? And and that was a game where I'm like, okay, I wasn't sure if my son would, would play that. Mm. But if you read the plot, like Superman kills Shazam. It's yeah. like vividly on in in the cutscene of the game, and so it was like I had to warn him as he was getting closer and closer to that point, going, uh, "You're handling this, but you're not gonna like that." Because yeah. years ago, I showed my son the the Smallville Justice Society episode, and he was so pissed. Superheroes don't die; right. they don't kill. So he was really angry. And so when he saw it, it was that, it was like you know, he just like he came over to me, just buried his head in my chest, and we're like. Tell me when it's over. Tell me when it's over. And then it's over, and then you can go back to fighting. Wow. So, you know, but putting that energy into Forever Evil is, is interesting. And maybe there are consequences until the next time they reboot the universe. That's the thing. That's the advantage DC has Plus, over. And that's where Marvel, that one of their missteps with Peter Parker and the unmasking is we don't buy that in Marvel. When you reboot right. their reality. Because they had bragged for so long well, they, didn't, they didn't do they it. They didn't reboot. They just adjusted Right. Technically, technically speaking, it was. Is that any better no, than was, Superboy Prime? No, no. It was. It was. It was, the, it was the difference between between um, Crisis and Zero Hour, right? Because Crisis was a full-on change, mm -hmm. and Zero Hour was a nut. Was this a little? Change? And I yeah. think Marvel has done it at least twice before, because I remember there was something. Doctor Strange has cast a spell where his identity had been yes had been known. And I think something happened oh, uh, with Steve Rogers. Uh, it was Tony Tony Stark. No, uh, not not uh, during not during uh, Civil War. No, no, no Heroes Reborn. Tony Stark was uh, eight, was seventeen because he was he knew he was going to. That be, was in Heroes Reborn. Oh no, no, before no. Heroes Reborn, uh -huh. he was going to be Kang, or he thought he was going to be Kang. Uh -huh. So they took, yeah. they went back in time. They grabbed seventeen-year-old Tony Stark. They brought him forward. He defeated the modern day version of himself, and then was stuck in the time in the yeah. present day. And then they went off to Heroes Reborn, and then they came back, and everybody forgot that happened. Uh, do you guys want to get really nerdy? Because uh, <laughs> really, I'm gonna, gonna I'm gonna yeah. throw down some some nonsense. Yeah. Okay. Everybody, yeah, yeah. put your, <laughs> glasses, put your glasses up. up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Listen. So when they went back in time, they grabbed an alternate younger Tony Stark, whose parents weren't killed in a car crash. So they. They grabbed an alternate Tony Stark, so he brought him back to the future. So he didn't change the past of the Marvel Universe uh, at all. I, I missed just, that part. It just moved a different Tony Stark into the future, uh, who then got his heart 
hurt and blah blah blah. And then right. went to wherever, and then he came when he came out of the portal. And however that worked, because even though I was crazy into Marvel at the time, I do not how I don't, I don't know how heroes. Uh, return worked. Franklin, but it was all Franklin. It was all Franklin's right. But when Franklin brought them back, they yes. were all just back to normal. Yes, yeah. because but, they were Franklin's version of them. Right. So yeah. he knows right. Tony as an adult, and there you go. Yeah, exactly. But, but in that uh, Heroes Return uh, uh, run, the Busick run, uh, Tony's identity gets out. And then he goes on the run, he like shaved his beard, he went blonde. And... Vague recollection. Yeah. And then he... Uh, he did something like he sent out some kind of hypnotic ray via satellites because he's a tech guy, of course. Satellites and the computers <laughs> brainwashed everybody, and they it forgot. It could have happened those three times plus. already today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah. What was your name again? I'm just saying. You know, Obama <laughs> said last week we're building the Stark armor. It's possible. Uh, so. so I'm I'm sorry. I just had a trip. No, it, no, it that's it, good. Yeah. So I mean, you know that, that that has indeed happened. So. We'll enjoy it as it lasts. Um, I wanted to bring up, well, so we got t- we're going to go to TV a little bit here. Uh, we do want to talk about S.H.I.E.L.D., but the other article I put up was that the, the BBC had completely revamped. Did you just try playing this morning? The, I didn't try it yet. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It requires Flash, so nobody oh, really? on an iPad can play it. Oh. Oh, my gosh. No. Okay, I was playing on a computer. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, oh. I, I, it'll the, probably play on my Android tablet. Okay, but. the Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide to the Galaxy text game, which was infamous, infamously frustrating and funny. And written by Douglas Adams himself. Yeah, the, uh, the way to get the babble fish in your ear was particularly tortured. Yes. You had um, all these <laughs> objects that, because it would slither around it. Right, and, and, and the BBC has a on warning. <laughs> like, on, you go to the first page and it says, this game will kill, kill you, you often. often yeah. so, <laughs> so save wherever you can. And they've just updated the interface so you can actually see what they're describing. So, But in the they style. Have, they have multiple sets of art for it. That have been done by different artists at different times. Okay, so I haven't played all the way, but but that, that that it was what I was seeing last night was in the style of what I remember from the original show, like basically wireframe visuals, and it yeah. was it's kind of fun. So for those who like, because I think that was the first computer game I ever bought, and oh, the Infocom games were great. The, you know, so um, it's there. It's just web based, and you can go and you can play it and register and. And I think it's worth noting for those who are geeks, especially because in my interview with Neil Gaiman this week, you know, he said like. That's the only true genius he really knew was Douglas Adams. So mm. he says that yeah. and the next day I discover, oh, the computer game is back. Excellent. Or maybe it never really <laughs> went away, but we, but it's a big deal because it's the 30th anniversary of it. Mm. So uh, kind of fun and worth noting. The BBC America is doing a, launching into a series called Real History of Science Fiction. with Four episodes. Four episodes starting April 19th uh, with Robot Space Invasion and Time. Those are the four different episodes. Shatner with William Shatner, Nathan Fillion, Zoe Saldana, Stephen Moffat, Richard Dreyfus, Chris Carter, Ronald D. Moore, John Landis, David Tennant, Christopher Lloyd, Rucker Hauer. Whoops, I jumped up. Uh, John Carpenter, Karen Gillan, Neil Gaiman, Kim Stanley Robinson, Scott Bakula, Ursula K. Le Guin, Sid Mead, Kenny Baker, Anthony Daniels, Michelle Nichols, Peter Weller, and Edward, Edward James Olmos. Yeah. Wow. Oh, Adama himself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, talk about the total. That, that is a, yeah, that is a murderer's row of. <laughs> Everything. Well, I love. that's that's the real history of science fiction, right there. I mean, yeah. that's going to be yeah. everybody yeah. Uh, that you would like to see comment. We're particularly amused by Nathan Fillion and Shatner just holding court. Be fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I hope I hope it's Shatner in a spaceship like Neil deGrasse Tyson has. <laughs> Shatner flies around in it, going to different. I didn't watch Cosmos movies. yet, but uh, yeah, or, or like Shatner had on the Oscars last year. He, <laughs> oh, that's uh, right. When he, when he was interacting with Seth MacFarlane, yeah. that was too funny. Yeah. 
funnier than that one. So, so uh, <laughs> no, all right, sorry. Uh, okay, so now let's talk a little bit about bite size. About bite size, okay. Yes, sure. Since yeah. we're here at CineQuest talking about And we're going to talk about CineQuest. Let's begin with bite size, which is a documentary about taking... I, I, I Being your own superhero. Oh, good. I like. Oh, nice, hey, nice, nice segue. Yeah. yeah, not to, not to, to. <laughs> but about childhood. Not to obesity. say, yeah, that about the movie childhood. is about uh, comics or in any capacity. But yes, it's about childhood obesity. Uh, but you know, specifically, it's got that same uh, model where you're an underdog who, you know, just like Peter Parker, or whatever. You're always the nerd, and then mm-hmm. you learn at a certain point that uh, individual accountability or responsibility uh, feeds into your own ability to change your uh, reality through your perspective. Uh, this, of course, is going through kids that are, are struggling with their weight. Um, but it, the movie doesn't really focus too much on, on eat this, not that. It's much more about There are think a few things. Way. There are yes, a few things. Yes, certainly. And uh, so I did watch it this evening, and, and I, I did uh, really it, – it, it triggered a lot of thoughts that I don't want to, like, break down on the air. Um, because <laughs> I might break down on the air. Uh, but it was in for uh, – that, uh, yeah, you're following four – Groups of children. I mean, to some extent, because of the Cisse uh, Puede, right, is, right. A, is a group of girls, um, and then uh, yeah, we say four stories, but representative of, of uh, uh, Hispanic, white, and black demographics across America. Two boys and and uh, two girls specifically, but then there's a larger group of girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we really wanted the film to be something that no matter who you were in America, that you'd be able to relate to one character, uh, and you know, be able to have a, a takeaway. Uh, to bring home to your own family or, you know... And there are interesting places. I mean, here's where, to me, this ties in, (laughs) certainly to the fanboy planet world, is you have uh, Moy, the Hispanic boy, who Who is... a huge fanboy himself. Who is a huge fanboy. And this is what I noticed. So I'm not sure when when you shot this, but I I did notice, like, embarrassing that I can say, oh, those... uh, those almost weebles that were Disney that were given away in Rice Krispies along the road and he's got a complete set of Smallville and a complete set of Bubby and Firefly. He's where his dad does. Yeah. And he's a video game fanatic. So certainly recognizable in the Silicon Valley and and obviously the rest of the world, rest of the country uh, there. And then the, uh, the girl that had been to mind, Mindstream. Mindstream. Lives in Celebration, Florida, the Disney town. Disney's Pleasantville neighborhood, uh, yeah, yeah right outside oh, the Magic Kingdom. Again, we're not necessarily going to say that because they're certainly welcome to buy us out at any time. Is it black, <laughs> is it black and white at most of the time? Uh, yeah, well, o- only uh, when they come to that uh, certain epiphany, uh, yes. then everything becomes in that, color. <laughs> that Mickey eye is watching, then everything goes to color. It's uh, very saturated. Yeah, yeah, so I thought that was very interesting. That I was like, oh, I've never actually seen anything... I've read articles on Celebration. I've never. It was almost like oh, I'd rather just watch her story because I want to see what is that life is like in Celebration. Well, but, you know, it's really interesting whether it was like in Orlando at Celebration or it was in L.A. following Moy's family. Uh, Disney was a prevalent theme in all of these families. Yes, specifically Felipe, who's uh, Moy's dad, uh, had a his office was a goofy shrine. Uh, we don't really fo- feature this. But I saw a shrine to Goofy. A yes. shrine to Goofy. I, caught, yeah. I wow. caught glimpses of Goofy in it. As I said, it was a fanboy family. And interesting, this is, okay, so I'm going to get into the breakdown things. It is interesting to see that, you know, Felipe is on Moy's case in this passive, aggressive, aggressive way. As and, and the mom's kind of in denial about it, my, that, which is exactly what my growing up was. Right. Well, it's and especially hard for for her to be able to stand up to the man games. who's working, yeah. you know, every single day to bring food home onto the table. 
Um, but it's interesting. Like I go to a swap meet with, uh, which is sort of like a flea market for their local community. Um, and I would see Moy would go out and he found this Venom uh, action figure that like he totally immediately bonded with. And his father was just like, "Don't! You, what are you doing? You're wasting money buying this uh, this Lego piece." And then he turned around and spent eight dollars on a. It was a goofy plush stuffed animal that held a tissue box, uh-huh. you know. And it was a very interesting. Um, paradigm of, of, mm-hmm. of not really seeing that what you are criticizing your son for you are essentially which alleged. comes up in the food choices exactly. definitely and uh, and ultimately there's a medical issue that comes up through that and so you know thanks for that terror uh, <laughs> being at the same age <laughs> believe me so uh, but yeah so it's interesting I, I, I don't know that you have all the answers in this documentary mm-hmm. but definitely opening up a lot of conversation that right. you should be having. Well, and, and we have always intended that the, the movie would be a conversation starter. I mean, sometimes it's a really hard conversation to have, uh, especially because I grew up overweight, and my whole family is as well. Uh, and it wasn't actually something that it followed me from third grade until I graduated from college uh, three years ago, right before starting to make the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but what we hope is that when, when people watch the film, whether it's in schools or uh, it's in a clinical setting, um, we're going to pair it with workbook materials uh, that would oh, be okay. able to uh, take it that next step in having a guided discussion uh, afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we wanted it to be thought-provoking, and sometimes the most thought-provoking films can't necessarily wrap everything up in a nice little bow. Very Number true. one, because that's also not how life works. But I like to think that the, fi- the film's equally... Tragic and triumphant, and in, in well, I think so. Of the but story. it would be interesting, like the Seven Up films from Michael Apted, to mm-hmm. see in maybe five mm-hmm. years or six years what happens, especially with Davian, Davion, yeah, Davion. Uh, you know the the one the guy who wants to be a football player. Who I mean, mm-hmm. broke my heart. I had a, a nephew as well who was um, very overweight and mm-hmm. had that same kind of like not quite connecting his own behavior and certainly being tormented. You know, I mean, so it's like. No, it was like almost everywhere I turned in this movie, there was something where I'm like, oh, I know that. I recognize right. that. And I, I, it, it was very heartbreaking. And uh, then on the flip side here, it, you know, as I looked you up, on the <laughs> database, who are making this very thought-provoking documentary. And then I looked on the IMDb, and your next credit is something whereas uh, Kevin Smith and Chris Garcia both, shut up and take my money now. <laughs> Carneyville. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about your upcoming horror film project, which, as you said, maybe it's been taken, the well, script has been I would taken say, by other people. But, for, the, but the core maybe. is absolutely there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, certainly, uh, Carneyville was a uh, project that one of my... Fantastic title. Thank you, thank uh. you. Yeah, it was, it's interesting because we were at the, um, we, I was in the cinema complex, the, the Camera 12. Uh, they have the Carneyville arcade game. <laughs> um, li- literally there, which is why we sort what, of... What, there is a, an arcade game called, called Carneville? Carneyville. Uh, in the Cinema 12. Yeah. In the Cinema 12, where you go around a carnival, and it's a first-person shooter where you... Uh, it's one of those, uh, those uh, you know, gun games. Well, so did you get the rights to this game? game? Well, actually, or? what we had to do was do some trickiness with actually how we phrased the spelling of Carneyville. So oh. it became... <laughs> Uh, Carney, like as in a, a Carney, C-A-R-N-I-E, V-I-L-L-E, as opposed to just the, the traditional C-A-R-N-E-V-I-L. Oh. Carneyville versus yes. Carneyville. Okay. Uh, but then we always, I, the way that I would always rationalize it to the director is, well, you just open up on the uh, on the shot of the theme park sign, but the, uh, what is it, the I is, is out. Uh, <laughs> right? Well, now that you like said it, I've had... Pl- with a K. 
Ah, now that you're saying, it, I have played that video game at a truck stop, and, and it got taken away because uh, they make a lot of drives up five, you know. Uh, and, and now that I know Camera 12 has it, I may be spending a lot of See, time there you go. playing that game because I thought it was fun. Yeah, I took uh, a picture of it earlier and sent the, sent the text message to, to the director. But essentially the, the idea behind the script was always uh, Final Destination, but uh, pretty much exclusively at a theme park. So basically any way that you've ever feared uh, dying in a amusement park or carnival ride, we had to... Uh, go in depth and explore and uh, that sort of involved me and the director actually going to local uh, carnivals around the Los Angeles area and like putting ourselves <laughs> in these death traps and literally going like my brother and I actually just attended a carnival took my kids oh, nice. to a carnival and it was funny because of course you know he sees the trailers and he I mean literally the trailers where they're living and going <laughs> right everybody seemed normal and they were taking our tickets and we were happy and then you had to point out Right, <laughs> and these are the people you're trusting to bolt those big things oh, together. Oh, I know, I know, I don't trust them. No. Um, so. And so it was, yeah, it was a really interesting um, mental exercise in trying to say, well, not only are we going to have cannibalistic clowns that are hunting these, you know, unsuspecting but deserving kids, uh, but how are we going to have all of these different amusement park rides, uh, short circuit, or uh, you know, just like what are what are your greatest fears in going to a, an amusement okay, park? Okay, so you're yeah. shooting for I. Nothing will ever top, I'm sorry, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Ah, see, but that's one of the director's sh- favorite films. But are you films. shooting for the second greatest Killer Clown movie? <laughs> I would say, yeah. Absolutely. In the subgenre of Killer Clown movies. Yes, absolutely. The, the, the main, I guess, our Jason Voorhees, our Freddy Krueger in this film, is named uh, Bonzo. And he is a... Uh, Go on. <laughs> yes, Bonzo. He doesn't have a uh, his tongue anymore, uh, so he is a mute, uh, mute and very angry <laughs> that's, clown. That's, that's awful. Uh, and his his weapon of choice is the what is the high striker hammer? <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's a it's quite a trip. Uh, Can I see this film? Right. Well, we'll see. We'll see exactly what's going on with that. I know that the director of that uh, has got that script as well as another one called the the Monster Project, which he's currently working on, and you can see those both uh, online. His the director's name is Victor Mathieu, uh, if you're interested. French director. So is okay. he funded? Is he working with the production company? Uh, currently exploring. He's had some conversations with Blumhouse, uh, who, as we all know, are, are uh, big in, in that genre, and we're yes, sort of yeah. uh, we're sort of. You know, waiting. a lot of people are doing graphic novels these days to mm. prove the. Well, no, I think the Blue House has already got fun, and they, you've already got a movie poster because it's up there you know, on IMDb. And one of the <laughs> yeah, one of the most interesting things was uh, there was actually a amusement park in Jacksonville, Florida, that converted themselves in October into uh, adopting Carnival. Uh, no. Uh, so they, we literally, although there may not be a movie property yet, we've already had amusement parks convert themselves and have like Bonzo running around uh, attacking people. <laughs> I Which, can think of no higher uh, honor. Nothing could really make us happier. <laughs> You've made your mark on, on our culture. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. One question to both of you, because we, we are sitting down with filmmakers who are fanboys. What well, we do have to go to the other other uh, interviews too. So. What got you into being fanboys? And uh, you know, got you into comics in the first place? Oh my goodness. Well, it would have to be my brother's Marvel trading card collection. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, my brother wasn't uh, like a big interesting th- gateway. You know, well, I, it was always also watching him play the games, whether it was like Marvel versus Capcom back in the day. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he and I, it was sort of like the bonding exercise. If he wasn't beating me up, then he was usually showing me like his newest, uh, his yeah. newest pack. And uh, there was just something about the X-Men in particular uh, that was 
really I just identified with immediately. I grew up also on the uh, what Fox Saturday morning cartoons yeah, right. mm-hmm. um, with that that glorious old X Men cartoon. Kids today they don't know the value of waiting a week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, mean, I think there is something to that of like you know yeah watching you know, once a week and knowing. Right. Kids today, they don't. <laughs> well, they, they don't get the Saturday morning experience. That that to me, mm. that's the saddest thing. Yeah, because you wait a week, wait a week between Adventure Times, but uh, not that I but love Adventure Time. It's okay, you can to death. Everybody, everybody <laughs> does. Uh, okay, yeah. What, yeah. Got, what got you involved? Uh, I um, I moved from Reno to uh, just south of Phoenix, a small town called Casa Grande, uh, when I was ten. And I remember I was in the airport, and I was looking around, looking for something to read, and I saw uh, Amazing Spider-Man, I think, 346. And it's, it's uh, Venom on the cover with his big Eric Larson tongue, and he's holding, holding the skull of Spider-Man with a tattered mask on it. It's a total, like, uh, was it a Hamlet pose? It's a Hamlet pose, yeah. And, uh, and I saw that, and I was like, what are those? I need to get those. And then three months later... Because I had no money. I couldn't buy anything. Three months later, I was hanging out with... I was alone in Casa Grande, and I didn't know anybody. And the kids I started running with read comics, and they were the cool kids. or Otherwise known as the only kids I could talk to. <laughs> they read comics, so I started reading comics, and then we fell out, and I kept reading comics. And now I have way, way, way too many of them. We all have that, as we noted, you know, our third man on the podcast, which now lives in Valencia. He just got married in July. And... Uh, the actual move down was delayed by a week just for cataloging and uh, boxing. <laughs> boxing up all of his comics. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Just, <laughs> yeah. so, no, anyway, I, we do, uh, yes, so we understand. We know that uh, we get that pain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's why we have a special show. So, indeed, thank you, guys. Thank uh, you. Our pleasure. And Matt for sitting down with us to talk about comics. and So, TV and what's TV your news. website now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you want to learn more about the film, uh, Bite Size, then please uh, find us online, www.bitesizemovie.com. And you're doing the film circuits now? And there's a Facebook page as well. There is a Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter at Bite Size Corbin. Right, which is my process of uh, oh man, yeah, former childhood uh, or for, former fat kid uh, determined to never go back. I, I I really want you to get a sidekick when you get really famous, yeah, and just give them that that Twitter handle. Oh, so, yeah. they, so, so you could be you, Corbin, Corbin, and, and, and bite size Corbin. Corbin. Yeah. That would be perfect. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh. In case you just can't handle full Corbin, <laughs> <laughs> you just want a taste of Corbin. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think we've so got. Like we were saying the same thing about all the actresses you had in in uh, the Time so of Monsters. Oh. They are all so small. It's like it's like do you just find them? Are they cheaper to, to ship around? <laughs> you can pack. It's you like can pack them more tiny. Tag, but you pay them less, right? They eat less crap by the. Uh, yeah, you, you pay by the ounce, and they're, they're like 12 ounces a piece. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, because uh, every actress is like four feet tall. It's crazy. And it just happened that they were all kind of around the same size. And, uh, yeah. Did you, you ever shot have to it well. Them, they didn't seem also, that well. Uh, did you yeah. ever have to put them on boxes when they oh, played yeah. against uh, them? Oh, yeah. So we had the, the old man in it. Uh, Hugh, uh, sorry, Chester. Chester. Played yeah. by Hugo Armstrong. He's a brilliant actor. He is Eight feet tall. Yeah. And he's standing next to uh, the blonde, uh, Marissa Scott. Can't get him in frame together. Yeah, no, it was it was they were we had to put her on like four full uh, apple That's boxes. So so she'd just come up to his elbow. Talk about your yeah. size. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> we should go to that interview right now. Why not? Hey, that's a great uh, segue. <laughs> I sometimes plan these things. <laughs>
we are sitting here with uh, the creators behind one of my favorite movies at Cinequest this year, Love in the Time of Monsters. I appreciate that, uh, that Cinequest like narrows down and gets the kind of movies that I like. And then I can say, it's easy to say, there were three really good ones. There's a whole, yeah, they have a whole profile for you. Yeah, I know. I, I do <laughs> feel like that. Like Derek oh, this West. one fits Derek perfectly. perfectly. Um, so, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, well, it's already, you've already made the cut. If you're at Cinequest, you're going to be one of my favorite movies, right? So, uh, Love in the Time of Monsters, which I did stay up and watch last night. Uh, at the was that the world explain premiere? the noise uh, we're, in the, we're in the lobby we're of in the, the Fairmont you know we're in the very sophisticated Fairmont lounge talking about an exploitation horror film <laughs> featuring <laughs> monsters called Psycho Monkeys we missed uh, IT okay <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you identify yourselves and what you did on the film so that uh, people listening can oh, get that so they nose check yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well uh, my name is Matt Jackson I'm the uh, director of this uh, uh, awesome piece of cinema my name is Mike Scavarla and I wrote Love in the Time of Monsters and I'm Andy Gunn, producer. All right, since I do believe it always starts with the screenwriter, my first question is going to be, what gave you the idea to start working on what became Love in the Time? Was that your title all, like, all along? Or? No, the title is a whole other story in itself. Yeah. Okay. The title is a great story. But originally, the idea came from, no joke, a dream. Right out of a dream. I had this cool dream. It's actually... Uh, that it's excellent scene. that you're on the same podcast with Neil Gaiman. Perfect. It, right? Yeah. I mean, like, we're sharing the same kind of thing. The, the dream was, it's actually a scene in the movie. It's when everything kind of goes down. There's a tour group involved, you know, and it yeah. doesn't go the way that it should. I'm not going to give too much away. But that really stuck with me. I was super tired, so I just, you know, kept dreaming it. It was fun. Uh, and then I woke up, and I was like, this has to be feature length. So that's when I just started writing it. And uh, that was back, actually, in 2005. So I wrote it and just kind of, well, I just had it, you know, on hand. It was kind of like a really personal project and I just wanted to have fun with it. So the first couple drafts were very dreamlike, very cartoony, you know, very just random, which, you know, was fun. But then um, in 2008 or nine, it was after I've done my short and then Matt and Andy did a short. Um, background in 2008. It was 2008 that we started. 2008, we really started. We we're like, look, we're going to do a feature. And so... They, uh, we, we got together, I pitched them this thing, they're like, great, let's do it. And that's when the script went from kind of like just a random, awesome cartoon, but really now, with the help of Matt and Andy, they focused it in, really got you know the core of the characters down. We considered you know everything, uh, like the budget and then the marketing, so that's when it really became uh, on the road to being an actual awesome big old movie. So the three of you have been, been friends for quite a while yeah. during this yeah. development. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so uh, Mike and I went to college together. Okay. And so I met Mike in 2002-ish. And then uh, Andy and I, uh, I met Andy at a poker game in 2004. In LA. You won him in a poker game? I won him in a poker game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was, wow. it was wow. stakes. High it was, production stakes. It was, yeah. it was so a hell of a pair of pies. Yeah, yeah. A hell right. of a pair of Love pies. It. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, the, when, then what attracted you two to this? Uh, well, if you ever look at, at Andy's blue eyes, oh, you meant to the project. No, yeah. to this, the project. not to each other. Gotcha, gotcha. Bed- Why you, uh, at least 70% of our, of our uh, interviews turn to homoeroticism. <laughs> what is it about yeah. genre people? Yeah. We all just want to go, oh, let's just, <laughs> let's just get grease re- up this carpet and go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh. Well, Rick's going to be back recording yeah. it, sure, because there's always got to be that guy. Okay, right. so. Sure. <laughs> uh, well, Andy and I did a short film uh, in 2006-ish, 
And then it was doing its festival run-ish. I yeah, forget. Yeah, it's fine. Um, we, we did a festival run, and then we wanted to do a feature. So we went, went around, looked for, we were looking for a movie, and uh, uh, Mike was like, oh, I got this thing, you should read it. And it, it, was, uh, it was everything that I, that I love about movies. There was something about that first draft, even though it was a shadow of what the movie became, that was just so visceral and um, uh, punchy, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, it was. Um, it kind of leapt off the page, I think. Yeah. I mean, from the very first, from the, it sounds. I mean, it sounds cliche, but the first you read a lot of scripts. Did it bite your face when you? It did. No, but I get what you said yeah. because when scene. you go into screenwriting classes, a lot of people yeah. don't get that. It's like the first ten pages. Yeah, how really can you important. get past that first ten page? Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, right, it's yeah. got well, to really hold you. Well, and there's there's something about the way Mike writes that's that's very visceral and very fun, and it was a good it was a good read. Like we read a lot yeah. of interesting fun scripts that were in the same vein but they they just they were just there you're like oh that's a good script but mm-hmm. this was like oh that needs to be a movie that's <laughs> gonna be something special and it was and it is congratulations Mike. hey you too yeah <laughs> well now mike mike gave credit to you two to helping helping him hone down on one of the things that i really appreciated the most about the movies i and i know you guys listened to the podcast when we talked about it is that I never felt like there were any throwaway characters. Like, I wish I could have been in this movie, you know, to be, because one minute... So you'd have one throwaway character? <laughs> <laughs> because, no, but what I mean is that I like, I like, I appreciate a movie where every actor has a chance to be mem- memorable for something. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, like, Chester. Hi. I, you know, not to go into it, but, but you know, to, to spoil anything, but, uh, but a through line where there's actually something somewhat poignant in this movie dealing with Chester while he appears ridiculous at first yeah. and then this and then I felt he was very real he was cartoony for a minute and then he became real and all of them did I mean I was even thinking about that with Uncle Slavko and his relationship with his wife that suddenly there was this really I could see a drama about that right. but I appreciate because I have a short attention span for these things <laughs> I would rather see a psycho monkey come in and tear people <laughs> yeah. apart to throw that up but I like it being balanced by a really strong yeah. script yeah. Yeah. That was uh, that was one of the things about about this and our process going into it. So it, it's a ridiculous premise and a ridiculous movie. And but I always feel like if you're you're going to do something ridiculous, it needs to have a, a solid foundation. Otherwise, nothing nothing matters. Now, for people who haven't seen the heard our previous podcast, oh, that's true. what's your thirty second pitch on this this movie? Uh, so uh, it's uh, actually Andy. Do you want to do the thirty second pitch? Because um, You're good at it. You're, you're a producer. The producer. Yeah, 30 second pitch. Uh, basically, uh, two sisters go up to a tourist trap lodge up in Northern California, like in Bigfoot country, where there are these guys that dress up like Bigfoot and they give tours to the local tourists, which actually really happens up there if you go yeah, up yeah. to it. We yeah. shot this up in Crescent City, California, and uh, or outside of Crescent City, California. And uh, basically, they, they give these tours, and what happens is these guys fall into toxic waste, so they're in Bigfoot suits. But they're monsters under the suits, so it's sort of a meta meta premise. But yeah, uh, yeah. and these two sisters basically have to. The love part is that one of them is marrying one of the guys that's the the Bigfoot kids, mm-hmm. and they end up having to sort of decide. He's trying to kill them. They're attacking the lodge, and he, they have to decide if they're going to save him or let him die, basically, or he may kill them. So it's sort of a it's this weird like it's, it's, it's love. In the, in the time, time of monsters, monsters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and again, there was there was the ridiculous and like the, the huge MacGuffin of how could it possibly be reversed? <laughs> I love Doug Jones, so I mean, right there, I want to oh, say Doug. like, oh. how'd you get? So you have these actors that are like 
high, like Michael McShane, mm-hmm. appearing, great oh, actor. He's amazing. Well known in Europe, AC, locally here, you know, big in a, at ACT in the 80s and 90s, one of the, probably one of oh, yeah. our secretly best classically trained actors in America. Yeah. Which is why he's, of course, only huge in Europe, because he's actually got <laughs> classical training. Um, you know, fantastic actor, and very sincere in this, so, you know, sincere performance, which is was what could be by, by there. Sean Weatherly. Uh, you know, because I remember as a scream queen from the 80s. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. beautiful. And, and still very attractive. Yeah. Yes, he yeah, is. Awesome. And, and, and then again, Doug Jones. Well, I love working with Doug Jones. And you're one of those guys that people use Doug Jones as the monster. And here he is, the voice of reason. And, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Doug, Doug told us, he said, uh, he gets scripts all the time. He says, you know, I'll get these scripts and it's always kids in a cabin and a monster attacks. And guess what I'm playing? The monster. And he says, like, he, he says no, he passes on it, and then he swears that people just change the names, change the title, and send in the same script. And so he was so excited when we got it. So uh, he actually, he's a friend of our casting director, Doug okay. Jones. And so we were like, Doug, we want you to be in this movie. And Doug's like, oh, what, you want to be the monster? And we're like, no, we want you to be Abraham Lincoln-ish. As <laughs> a scientist. Which, yeah. yeah. Um, which, which is the best line in the movie, in my opinion, is like, why is why are you here with all this knowledge? It's like a, <laughs> the economy. It was a rough economy. So you actually got social commentary going <laughs> exactly. on as well. Yeah. Of course. Deep. Um, well, and Doug Jones told us that he always had wanted to play Abraham Lincoln, so that actually yeah. helped too. Wow. He's, uh, he's like his big, like he. I mean, he just always wanted to do it, so it was just it was uh, definitely amazing. And well, and he's a very yeah. funny actor. He's one of those that I'm hoping more people in mainstream right? yeah. because I think yeah. he is. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, he's on the neighbors. And he's on the neighbors. Yeah. It's hilarious on the neighbors. It is very poignant when he pulls the beard off. I was just like, oh, right? that's, that's yeah, a transformative yeah. scene. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, meta. Not where I'm going. <laughs> Not where I'm going. Um, yeah. And, and then what got mentioned last night is, uh, well, the question was, how many of you guys are actual book, Bigfoot believers? Um, uh, for the sake of publicity, you all raised your hands. Now, but really... Uh, <laughs> uh, I am totally going to pass on that question. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> right. Wow. I, I am, because I think when we shot up in Gasky, up there in Gasky, Crescent City area, you had a uh, great weekend. County. Something you don't know what it was. What's, well, no, every, every single person <laughs> up there has a story. It was me. Start. Right outside <laughs> one of the places we stayed at. They were they were saying that the Bigfoot walked like across the street. So, so they're I mean, all convinced. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna discount what they believe. That I think I believe because they believe. That's mine. Yeah. And I mean, you also they, you alluded to a story it. which I I actually took out my phone and made the note last night that uh, the lodge where you filmed was haunted. Oh yeah, yeah. is yeah. haunted. I stayed yes, in that room. Yeah, so tell us that story because uh, you didn't tell it last night so the story is from what I understand is that there was a young woman named Maud who stayed at that lodge and that lodge is over a hundred years old by the way and it's Petri- you know historic they used to be logging up there Petra Creek Lodge yeah right in the middle of the redwoods it's beautiful it's, it's crazy it's, it's like the perfect location for our movie it's just out there and it's beautiful and it's also haunted uh, this young woman I think the story is that she was betrothed to be married but then she got stood up on her wedding day, so naturally she hung herself upstairs. Of course. So, like so that's the deal. And yeah. apparently, like, she's been there for a while, and the owners even are cool with it. They're like, oh, yeah, Maud's back, you know. She, she stays in she's one friendly. room. Yeah, she, she's, she's totally friendly. She, she stays goes in the room. south for the winter, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's totally chill. I actually lived in that room for three weeks while we shot Where there. Where she killed herself. Oh, it was yeah. this, like, 
really like old school style sweet you know it could totally be creepy and I was totally you know a little goosebumps for the first couple days because I was always expecting to see something and on the film I wasn't really on set I was taking care of the footage Mm-hmm. In that room, so but I Mike would be there. Experience with uh, with uh, post production, so he conscripted yeah, yeah him I was into there the with the, with my you know my happy footage, but then I was always looking out of the corner of my eye. There was this weird panel in the ceiling. I was always going to look over and see some kind of you know ring yeah. kind of girl looking down with the uh-huh. black hair or something. Uh-huh. And then there was under the bed, like from where my workstation was, right under the bed was right in my peripheral vision. And you know how that sometimes messes oh, up. Oh, crap, I think yeah. every writer has to find his muse. You know? Right? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes so I was, the muse finds you. Oh, uh, it's costly. But, oh, I mean, kind of a letdown. Uh, nothing happened, and I slept very, very well in that room. But, but she wasn't but, around, though, because other people uh, had yeah. stories. Well, yeah. Uh, our, uh, our stunt coordinator, Rick McCallum, uh, uh, who's amazing, uh, he, uh, he's a ghost hunter. Hollywood ghost hunters. Yeah. yeah, he hunts with coast Kane, with Kane Hodder. With Kane Hodder yeah. and um, Danielle Harris. Kane Hodder is a ghost hunter. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. They Hollywood have their own things. Oh yeah. No, yeah, it's, they it's do amazing. it all the time. And uh, Leatherface, I forget yeah, his name, I but like too, yeah. this whole group of them, they just love going to where you and know because they they're such big. Do they guys. have a reality series that I'm just not aware of? They're, They've been on ghost they, hunters. They're, yeah. they're moving towards because how nobody is putting Kane Hodder and Leatherface. Oh, what is his name? I know who you mean. Yeah. Oh yeah, Gunnar Hansen. Gunnar Hansen. Yeah, Gunnar Hansen and Kane Hodder as ghost hunters. How no one's done that as a TV show. I think they're totally working on it. And Rick, they're all such big, big tough guys. They're like the real deal too. They're not just like doing it because they're you know because they're famous or whatever. They're they're they are really into it. They love it. Rick, yeah, don't tell. And Rick basically said, you know, can I go up a day early before you guys get there and just stay in the room and, and bring my you know meters and things and actually try to find the ghost and talk to the ghost and he did he went up there he was all by himself in this lodge because it was their off season you know he yeah. goes in there and he's got footage we've actually got it on our YouTube page yeah, you can check it saying, out yeah. youtube.com slash Uncle Slavko Uncle Slavko yeah sorry he, uh, he's no, got it you have to you have <laughs> to yeah. and he uh, and he basically uh, he communicated with the ghost and there's, there was there was footage yeah. that he had that actually made the uh Lodge owner cry because it was so like amazing. Like, Did he he's convince you? A, I mean, oh, absolutely. He's, I mean, he's the real deal. Like he does. I'm terrified it. to watch this right now. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, the it's thing actually is, makes yeah. you feel good. It's yeah, like, it's, it's like, great. It's weird. It's they have like, like this thing going on, and he's such a pro that he really like helps her and tries to get you know yeah, in sure. touch with her, and he asks the right questions. So yeah, go check it out on our site. The footage is, you know, you got to understand that it might look like just a couple of blinking lights, mm-hmm. but Rick explains. He's like, look. You may get one or two green lights, and that on its own is like a strong yeah, kind of report. But we had all lights up to five, up to like red. He's like, that's like 100%. That like never happens. And it kept happening. And you could tell she was answering his questions. It was it was real trip. Yeah. I worked with the footage. I was like, this is legitimately, he's asking questions and the lights are gone. It's like... Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> you should watch it. I will it's, wait until I leave my office tonight <laughs> and I will go back home and turn on all the lights and then I will watch it. Uh, okay. Um, so uh, I feel like you got a great reception last night. Uh, it was, it was, it was yeah. the best that we could possibly imagine. It was amazing. And so the question is that was asked there and we asked now is a lot, we are a worldwide audience. How are people listening to this podcast going to get a chance to see Love in the Time of Monsters? Well, that sounds like an Andy question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> as long as we get an Andy answer, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I mean, this was our world premiere uh, yeah. last night uh, at, at CineQuest, and so this is kind of kick-starting our, not just our festival run, but also our sales process. So 
we have film reps and we're in the process of selling the film and so we should have news I'd say in the next month or so about where where we're going to be and what's going to happen and then we're also I can't say anything yet but there's some other festivals that we will be here hopefully in the spring that people can check out in a few different places uh, maybe even in the world not just in the U.S. Oh yeah but, no I mean I, one know, thing I'm discovering is how many um, we had Harry Knowles on Thursday night um, he had mentioned Fantastic Fest and how much worldwide um, film festivals that cater to this kind of film specifically while of Cinequest uh-huh. is such a wide range, oh, yeah. but I'd still rather, you know, I'll sit in your movie. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, look, I'm sorry, I eat dessert first. That's all I can say. Yeah. But how many now venues uh, of that type? So, okay, may still happen in, in that. All right. And then what is next for you guys creatively? Well, we've all got a lot of projects going on. We just want to all keep working. Um, yeah, uh, we have a sequel in the works. Yeah, uh, we've been like working on treatments. We got a lot of, we got a lot of stuff, and so we're gonna see how this works, and then we're gonna see what sticks. We have like it, like indie like blah movies, and then like big fun like expensive pulpy movies like this. It's, it's really just. Yeah, we learned in L.A. that you want to have a lot of things going on at once because you never know what the market's going to dictate. You never know what you're going to feel like doing. But one thing's for sure is that we're all going to keep working no matter what. And the, yeah. and I think the nice thing is that, we, you know, when we made this movie, we really we really wanted to put everything we had into it. We, put, we literally put everything we have into it. Yeah. Because we never knew if we'd make another movie. We're like, this could be it. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> but the nice thing is, is that people are responding to it really well. So hopefully we can make... Oh, movies. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that yeah. was the plan. But yeah. you still want to throw everything that you know. You just you yeah, throw everything yeah. you can into an independent film and just hope that it catches and people are seem to be catching on to it. So we really, yeah, we feel like we have a good kind of idea and a good kind of tone, and we feel like that like we could keep doing these. Like we we're talking about a sequel because you know people ask us like at the end they're like, all right, so you're gonna do another one? What, what's Love and the Time of Monsters two about? And so we have this kind of like feeling that it's going to be something that people are going to enjoy because we're, you know, honestly just trying to go out there and entertain. Yeah. And, if, and if the market doesn't, you know, respond to that, then, you know, that's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously influenced by movies of its type. So what would be your favorite of the uh, oh. movies oh. That, that, you know, that fed into this? My, uh, my go-to movie, the movie I was trying to hit, and I will, I will be the first one to admit that we did not... I did not quite get it there because it's such a high mark is Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2 is one of my favorite movies of all time. It is funny, it's scary, it moves so fast. It's crazy. Like, classic Raimi stuff is yeah. so, it's so amazing. It's got its own kind of life to it. Uh, and I, yeah, I think we did a great job and I think we got really close, but I, I can't. Well, think about like, it, man. It yeah. took them twice to do it. So. That's true. <laughs> That's true. So <laughs> love the time of Monsters 2. Just, just yeah. right write it better with, with more jokes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Same thing. Pick uh, up again. We'll do a bigger budget. Bigger yeah. budget. See what happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. One of my biggest influences was Shaun of the Dead. And for the for all of us, we were looking at that, too, just oh, yeah. because it kind of has that really heart to it, but it's set in that ridiculous kind of setting. But these mm-hmm. characters are all someone you, you know, you're rooting for. And even if they do crazy things sometimes, you know, they're just still human. And they, they have all these issues to deal with while, while monsters... Yeah, <laughs> and I think for me, my a big influence for me that that I know we all love the movie is Tremors. Oh, yeah. I actually remember 
We went to. We you went. Have just we, hit three of my favorites. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I saw. Well, no wonder like, you like the movie. Like, I, mean, yeah. I mean, you know, come on, come up with something obscure. <laughs> because Tremors, I mean, to me, like that was the the epitome of of people that you watch that movie. Those people are actually real in Tremors. Like they are they real people, yeah. they're and they're funny, this, and they're funny. Uh, but they're yeah. in this crazy situation where people are dying, and it's like, what? Like, what the hell is this thing in the, in the ground? It's in the ground. I think I, just, <laughs> I, I think I just said to somebody a couple of days ago, I. Looks like I left town just one damn day too late. <laughs> well, it is. It is in Tremors. They all do the things that the audience would do. They're not. The audience isn't going. Isn't going. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't go to the basement. Yeah. Which is the same thing in Love at the Time of Monsters. There wasn't anybody yeah. who really, who was really doing stuff that the audience is going. No, I can't uh, no, see no, why no, you're I, doing. I didn't oh yeah. Why that. you? Yeah. Why are you moonwalking through the graveyard? <laughs> uh, my, my favorite thing about last night. So I. Yeah. I've seen the movie so so often that I, I sit there and recite lines to my wife because I'm just I'm whatever. There's this guy to my to my left who was talking to his buddy. He's sitting in the front row. He's talking to his buddy, and he'd be like, he'd point something out that was ridiculous, and then the movie would spit back his same line at him. And I was like, well, that's that's good screenwriting because yeah. you know, they're gonna be like, oh, this is dumb, and then somebody says, yeah, this is dumb. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, and you pay homage because uh, there's one character who. Has had a rough night and she wakes up and she's like perfectly coiffed and the audience laughs and that. Oh, that was serious. And I thought, you know, and then I was seeing it. That was the second time I saw it. I went, yeah, that's kind of paying service to the way these movies go. Whereas I, but it stands out as a scene because everybody else, I thought, yeah, they look like they've been put through the ringer. A funny moment that you allowed that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Some people do have those genes, though. I can tell you. Debbie, of course, your wife. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, that was that was. You're probably talking about the beautiful Heather Ray Young, who's in the movie, right? I believe that's who. I think so. Who plays one, like of Brandy. The, one of the one of the dancers. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, there was yeah. a hand gesture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what those she's, hands were doing. Uh, my wife by there juggling hockey yeah. uh, exactly. balls. She's, uh, she's so. a Playboy playmate, and and I think that's in their contract. Uh-huh. They have to. You when you wake up, you just look great. Yeah, it's part of the job. She's a beautiful, she's a beautiful yeah. woman, and she's she's awesome too. She was such a pro. Oh, oh my so god, nice. she's such a professional. Yeah. Totally like. Oh, it was a funny character. It was a great scene. It was like, and it, and it happens at a moment, which in the previous podcast we've all because Kyle Burt could not stop giggling when we started talking. <laughs> like just going like, "Sight squirrels, squirrels," <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they were like, "Ah!" Oh. But but it is that it is that moment late in the movie where I also thought I was very less irritated by you guys I'm not irritated by you guys by I'm gonna like almost false settings like there's a there's a couple places where I'm like it could end here and I'd be okay yeah. I still would have been satisfied yeah. oh, oh no, no you're gonna <laughs> give me one more we're not satisfied and then I'm like, okay and I'm satisfied no <laughs> so and that's when I kind wait. of forgot which was the finals I'm like okay is there gonna be another Okay, we're good. Okay. <laughs> you should have seen the original draft, uh, Micro, where there was it just kept going and going. Well, they're like the X Men uh, of Psycho yeah. Monkeys, according to what you were saying last oh, night. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah there <laughs> was just all this. They all all had their this individual stuff. powers. We had a lot to work with. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 The, uh, the actual two, they could join like Voltron. You know what? I like there, that. Wasn't it? And jot that down. <laughs> you can have that for free. We're talking yes. sequel already. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh man! Because no one's mixed anime, and there's a little boy who stands on the shoulder. Right, right. No one has right. mixed that genre. <laughs> with there wasn't, wasn't there? A, oh yeah, there was yeah. in the early drafts. There was a little mutated little boy. He glowed in the wow. dark. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, he had everything. Yeah, it writes itself. We had, yeah. to, we had to cut yeah. some stuff out, but that you know, put Mike's it back in. Put it back yeah. in. Yeah. Whatever you had, throw it back. Even All the right. nuke. 
<laughs> yes. All right. Because the other Nick thing with those back. movies right, is, is if I have no hope at the end, okay. <laughs> sometimes, I, yeah. sometimes a nuke is best. I, so many such on it, I feel like if I, if I touch on anything more, we'll like be spoiling great moments for other people. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, guys, thanks so much for sitting down. Hey, thanks for having us. This is awesome. And, and, yeah. uh, uh, I just want to pimp, the, pimp out the film. Yeah. We're at loveinthetimeofmonsters.com. And also we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash loveinthetimeofmonsters. Where you can keep updated with our progress. Absolutely. Right, Andy? We got a blog, Uncle Slavko's Fun Time blog. We're, yep. we're oh, all yeah. over the internet. You can't get rid of us. We post so, often, yeah. as much as possible. Totally. Let yeah. us know when you yeah. get when you get showings and stuff, and we will pass that on to our audience. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we sell the film, too. We'll let you know. We should yeah, have this exciting time in the next, like Andy said, the next month or so. We will have some exciting news. We uh, love right. linking to your Amazon listing. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Nice. And nice. someday we'll actually make 10 cents from that. You guys see that, but you know. I think what happens is people click and they go, oh, yeah, I'll get that later. Yeah. yeah. yeah but they'll get it. Yeah. 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 For you, that's all that matters. That's why we're doing it. You know, we're advocates. We love and, I, and I would like to thank the audience last night for staying through the time change. Oh, yeah. Amazing. This oh, yeah. is the first time change I've been awake for, and I don't know how long. We time traveled yeah. through time during the yeah. Was there sparkling That's what our in the sky going. or anything? No, I just <laughs> lost time, and my shirt was on backwards. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so that was uh, awkward. Yeah. yeah. It was just a perfect time to end. Loving the time of monsters. Look for uh, Watch us on Fanboy Planet to see when it's up, and, and then check it out on Facebook. Oh, yeah. And, and Thanks, Darren. Yeah. Well, thank Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thank That's you. awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that was great. So, uh, thanks so much. Jump in. <laughs> no, that's good. We're good. Uh, now, uh, like I said, we have uh, we have two other interviews this evening. So, uh, in this podcast uh, on Sunday, uh, here at Cinequest, Neil Gaiman came and was uh, was the recipient of the Maverick Spirit Award. You can find a transcript of the interview we did with him on Fanboy Planet already. But really, with Gaiman. It's really important to hear, hear his voice. voice. And do you also have an excerpt from uh, from the actual talk he gave? I have a couple of things. Okay, so there'll be some surprises some here. surprises. What Rick is doing is making sure that I download and listen to this podcast. <laughs> Just <laughs> by, to make sure your voice is By promising there's something speaking. I'm not sure of. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, let us turn this over to Neil Gaiman. Uh, so we are here with uh, Neil Gaiman, huge honor, and he received an honor today, which is the Maverick Independent Spirit Award. Uh, and you mentioned you uh, the, on stage that you felt like finally you're not uh, receiving this. You have a body of work to stand up, and it reminded me of something you know Alan Moore had said that in our culture now, young men get told they're genius after one work. So you want to reflect upon that about you now your body of work? Do you finally feel like it's okay to be given an award? Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't, I still don't feel like a genius. Um, you know, I've known a few real geniuses in my life, not not many. Um, you know, Douglas Adams, for example, and I look at those guys and I go, they, they think differently. I just, I just like making up stories. Um, but I think that's very true, that we do tend to turn around um, when you've done something clever and say, look at you, you are so clever. And, you know, when I was writing Sandman... I think I walked away with a total of something like 18 Eisner Awards and um, plus, you know, the World of Fantasy Award, 
for an episode of Sandman, which was the first ever literary award that went to a comic, and they changed the rules the following morning to make sure it could never happen again, which somehow made it even cooler, not less cool. <laughs> and, um, and all of that kind of stuff, where you're looking at it and you're going, yeah, but I'm just I'm still figuring out what I'm doing. I'm not really sure what I'm doing. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm blundering my way through this with my arms outstretched, trying not to get into too much trouble. Um, and one of the nice things now is while I can feel absolutely, you know, the, the, the trouble with being any kind of artist for me is, is I never get to see what anybody else gets to see when they read American Gods or read Coraline. I, I don't actually had that as a question. I, <laughs> you know, you, um, you don't, I, I don't get, I don't know what anybody else experiences. Oh, I get to look at this thing. And I go, okay, this was the thing I had in my head. This is the thing I made. This is how far the thing that I had in my head fell from the thing that I made. Um, this, is the, this is the weird practicality of what we were doing. This is that thing that people thought I meant, but actually I was just trying to get my way around this thing. This is a sequence that exists because I got stuck, whatever. Um, so when I look at all of the individual works, what I see is all of the mistakes. But when I look at the body of work, I'm now at the point where I've been writing for 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, I can go, yeah, look, there's short story collections, here's some novels, here's picture books, here's comics, here's graphic novels, here is, it takes up shelves. And I can go, and I'm really proud of it. And actually I'm proud of having done this stuff. None of this stuff would have existed mm -hmm. if I hadn't made it. And, um, they're all my children, there's a lot of them, and they seem to be doing well, and people love them. And that I can totally accept. Mm -hmm. I, I don't feel fraudulent about that. I don't feel apologetic about that. Which is great, because you shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm English, I can apologize for oh. anything. We're worse than Canadians. Mm. <laughs> all right. Um, so in that body of work, uh, you've covered a lot of different media. What, uh, is, there, is there some a medium left that you would really like to tackle that would be the stage challenge? Stage plays. I, I still haven't yet done stage plays. I've, I've worked a little bit here and there on things. I did the, uh, I, I was part of the Wolves in the Walls mm -hmm. um, adaptation for the National Theatre of Scotland. Um, but I'm always, it's the one thing that if I get hit by a car tomorrow at the point where they're dragging me off to the emergency room and about to pull the sheet over my face. I'd go, ah, oh, didn't do a stage play. Meant to. Um, so that's definitely sort of pretty high on the list of things I would like to have written before they cart me off. All right. And on stage, uh, earlier you, you were talking about storytelling as elemental and uh, the book about you is called Prince of Stories. Um, what is it for our podcast that you that makes storytelling so important and elemental to the human psyche i think i mean the, for me the finest thing about storytelling is that um it actually frees us from our brains um in the sense that <laughs> i just had to let that sit for a moment in mind thank you good because storytelling um the biggest drawback to being human is you only get to have one pair of eyes to look out of, one head to be inside, and one set of experiences. 
And people who have no stories in their lives just get to go through that one life. Um, stories let you live other lives. Stories let you look out through other eyes. Stories give you other minds. Um, it's, you know, the thing that makes human beings superior to, uh, you know, for, for many given definitions of superior to animals is actually one-on-one. -on -one, we don't have much on them. They can swim better, climb better, feed themselves better. Um, by any given standard of intelligence, when you are out in the woods, my dog is smarter than I am. <laughs> um, but what we do have is the ability to draw on the knowledge of others and the experiences of others and the experiences in some ways of the entire human race. Mm -hmm. It's all there for us because we've been telling it to each other as stories. And it allows us to shape the world that we see and it allows us to draw on mm -hmm. experiences that we haven't had. But we can go, you know, when so-and-so got into this state, this, that situation, this is what she did. I mm -hmm. could do that. Mm -hmm. And you also touched on that, you know, the stories outlast civilizations and cultures. And if you were to be able to dictate this, which of your contributions to story would you hope outlast this civilization? You know, the glorious thing about being a writer is not only don't you get to pick, but that probably you're going to be wrong. Um, A.A. Milne, deputy editor of Punch magazine, at the height of Punch's success, was also a playwright, and an astoundingly successful playwright. At one point, I believe he had five plays on simultaneously in London's West End widely regarded as a premier humorous writer. They're very funny. Had, had you told him that, um, you know, 70 years after his death, he would be remembered for two books of children's fiction that he wrote about a stuffed bear and two books of children's poetry. And that's pretty much all that would ever be in print by him. Mm. Um, I think he would have been astounded, you know, absolutely astounded. But the truth is that that's still better than what most writers get because what most writers get is forgotten and yeah. that's okay too you know you don't write for the people 200 years from now yeah. or 70 years from now you write for your friends you write for yourself you write for the world you're in so as far as I'm concerned if any of my stories outlives me outlasts me if any of my stories are being read 100 years from now or 200 years from now um I will be, well, I won't be thrilled, obviously, because I'll be dead. Um, <laughs> unless I'm a brain in the jar on, on you know, a nice sort of severed head like in future. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I figure that you're way, way, way ahead of the game. And it can be anything. It can be Tuesday about a baby panda sneezing that lasts and everybody, and one day people will go, you know that book about the baby panda who sneezes? The guy who wrote that, apparently he wrote some other stuff too. I can see that happening. Well, you, uh, again, some time back, but for those that are trying to be writers themselves, you talked about failure and the importance. If you could um, talk about that, what failure? What I was means saying was, was um, yeah, failure, failure is fantastic. Um, what I was saying is, look, everything that I've ever done that I've got a big award for, everything I've ever done that I've been praised for, 
everything I've ever been done that people have gone, oh my God, this thing is brilliant. Normally, there's, you know, the things that I learned that made that happen, I learned writing the version of it that didn't work, mm -hmm. that people didn't like, that didn't do it. Mm -hmm. And those are the places that you learn from. You don't learn anything from doing something absolutely brilliant that everybody loves. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's magic and it's wonderful. And you go away going, cool, I just did something clever. You know, I wrote... Um, and we call you a genius. And they call you a genius. And they give you a Hugo Award <laughs> or whatever. And you go, look at me, I am so clever. Uh, uh, but the truth is, you don't actually look at that and go, okay, so what did I learn mm -hmm. from that? Um, and normally you just learn that sometimes, you know, you set out to make a cake and the cake rises perfectly and it tastes nicer than you ever hoped. Whereas the ones where the cake fails, you can absolutely look at it and go, okay, what do I learn from that? Right, so I have to learn not to open the, the oven door halfway through the cooking process to inspect it. And I have to learn, um, you know, how to do this. And, and those are all the things that actually at the point where you suddenly need to, you're apparently blithely and also apparently effortlessly making a perfect cake and you do that because you failed so you know it, it's the the line about you fail and then you fail better yeah. um, and to finish up go back to your childhood which item from the back of American comic books do you wish you had now oh um, what a great question um, I think I would like the box of soldiers um, because, you know, as far as I could tell from the ad, either that or the miniature submarine. Um, I quite like a miniature submarine. I could go places in a miniature submarine. I assumed it was probably nuclear. And it was more expensive than other things. You know, it was like about $2. Yeah, so yeah. Um, it was probably a nuclear miniature submarine. Um, but, you know, but the, the soldiers looked really good because I, I had this theory that they were probably follow orders and um, you know and, and I, I like to think that the world if I had a box with soldiers in it that followed orders would you know 1200 of them or whatever it was would be my lobster excellent thank you for sitting down with us Neil and we're so glad to have you here in San Jose you are so welcome that was one of the best Sundays ever you know, it really kind of has blown the rest of the week, because sorry guys, but really, oh, when you start no. with lunch with Neil Gaiman and <laughs> having an interview with uh, probably the most, uh, a writer who's very influential, if not in your own style, but at least in uh, your life, um, and then the re and then it's Monday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh crap, nothing's going to top this. <laughs> it peaked too soon. <laughs> so... Uh, and yet Sunday night we had lots of fun because we sat down with you, with you Matt about uh, Love of the Time of Monsters and we spoke with um, my my I, I shall call them all equally I shall I shall not rate my favorite movies here uh, no no but, please do as long as mine's on the top uh, okay, <laughs> no, because they they satisfy different different things I understand Love of the Time of Monsters is probably the best horror film here I absolutely enjoyed. That uh, so I can say this because I didn't actually meet them face to face. You know, <laughs> Blood Punch I thought was good, but it was not as 
uh, you know, I, I don't feel like I might like I would go back and watch it the way that I went back to watch Love of the Time of Monsters, and will probably watch again and again. I love it. Uh, I love it. Or share it with other people. However, yeah, and the, but the movie that I'm definitely going to be sharing with people, and I need the DVD back because there's a couple people I need to share it with, uh, is uh, Eternity, the movie, and we mm -hmm. sat down with uh, the writers, producer, director of Eternity. So let's go to that. Right now. Uh, okay, I was going to go to that. Okay, we're good to go. We're recording now. Cool. Excellent. Awesome. Okay, so this is this is going to be like all time one of my favorite podcasts we ever do because we're sitting down with honestly, the, you know, we've got Neil Gaiman, we've got the guys from Love and Time of Monsters, and then this is like. All my favorite Cinequest. This day, I know. <laughs> this day has fed my soul in a way you guys cannot know. Awesome, awesome. We are sitting with the creative team behind Eternity, the movie. I don't know if I can say it without crying. Uh, <laughs> Eternity, the movie, which somehow encapsulated so many aspects of my life, but enough about me. You know, so uh, for your. For people listening, give you know, kind of a sound bite. Name your name. Hey, I'm Ian Thorpe, and I was the director of Eternity the Movie. And my name is Eric Staley. I'm the producer of Eternity. Joey Abilucci, screenwriter extraordinaire. Yes, I, I will vouch. I've seen <laughs> it three times. I'm probably going to go back tonight. I awesome. love your screenplay. Thank Wonderful. you. Uh, so, I know. You know, there are other movies here, but I, I'm not interested in seeing it anymore. <laughs> uh, so. The Patrick Stewart movie is pretty good. Yeah, but I saw it. Oh, so yeah. now I don't have to see it again. <laughs> you guys want to see what... I just so I want to take more people. So, um, let's talk about the Genesis. Uh, so, we, we were... Uh, Rick and I were at the Q&A. Uh, was that just last night? It, it was. was. It was. Uh, uh, and one of the things was that there were a variety of projects. But so first, it starts with the screenwriter, yeah. Joey. What's your uh, your inspiration? Well, these gentlemen approached me in 2006. Uh, they had a little bit of a chunk of money. I gave them five oh, different cool. treatments. Very little. Very little. Um, <laughs> at the time, I was listening to a lot of Holland Oates and Richard Marks, and. Um, I had a couple of ambiguous relationships with men, even though I'm into women, but I had some friends that were... They, it's they had okay, it's, it's fandom. We right, understand. right. Well, you know, it's just, I, I found it funny that guys had a hard time telling each other that they loved one another um, without, you know, right, disrupting right. their machismo. Right. And along with listening to all that music, I thought it was funny that these poor saps were writing these hit songs, yet... It's like, do these girls even like you? But, you know, you're writing these heartbreaking songs. Was there any Thompson Twins in there? Because I think on There's the... a poster. On the album... <laughs> no, no, because the album has a song by the group from Guam. Right? <laughs> right. And, they, right. and that was the one I realized after listening to it a couple times, I went, oh, it's the group from Guam. And they were that was the song that reminded me of Thompson Twins. Yeah, a lot of these 80s references kind of developed as we went along. I mean, it really, Mar Richard Marks was kind of the initial inspiration um, just because, you know, should have known better not to fall in love with you. It's like, dude, she never loved you. Like, yeah. Yet you wrote this hit song. <laughs> You've never experienced that where you wanted to write that song? And, you know, I mean, that's what was great about the 80s? Okay, you know. They got the unrequited love of the 80s, for sure. And, right, and even, like, Hazard, uh, Richard Marx's Hazard, like, that video kind of inspired Alana. Is like, that's mm -hmm. sort of the same kind of feel that we were kind of yeah, going after. Alana so. was the song that killed me on the first time we talked about this. Movie. But once again, we, we need the 30-second pitch. Yeah, give us the 30 I'm sorry, we... We, we jump ahead because we've, so we've seen it so many times. We've oh, talked about right. it so much. But if you were pitching this in the elevator, what would you just say about this movie? Uh, the uh, the elevator pitch is uh, two guys writing R and B music in 1985, and that's that's kind of hopefully that gets them in. Like, wait, 
what is that? And so we go on, you know, parody of Hall and Oates. Um, it just kind of encompasses, you know, everything. So as far as the 30-second pitch, I'm obviously not that well at it right now. But <laughs> and if we're comfortable with people, we tell them it's the rise and fall of an ambiguously gay, white R&B duo. There the way go. R&B was meant to be played. That's yes. right. That's Full of right. rhythms and, and, you know, blues. Blues, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, okay, so you've written this, and you. Yes. how do you guys decide this is the film you want to do? Uh, well, you, we just went after the most ambitious, ridiculous one to make. <laughs> no, actually, we, I mean, we, we decided to take on a lot. You know, we, we looked at, he had a treatment for a, a few different types of films, but we really enjoyed the idea of doing a comedy. We wanted to have fun with our first film um, and not be kind of locked in up to a horror dr- drama where, like, no one's having fun on set and you're not getting your, your, the most out of your actors and everybody. So we said, hey, let's do a comedy. Let's bite off this big thing. And, um, you know, not only do we make a movie, but we had to produce an entire album and we're not record producers but we uh, we learned on the fly we figured it out so we, uh, you know we, we thought it was hilarious and we loved the concept and thought it'd be fun and this is, it this was. is dreaming big did you have experience with comedy before uh, yeah not, not successful experience with comedy <laughs> <laughs> no we worked on some comedies um, you know on the on the post-production side and you know being on those sets is just so much fun and, and I knew that that's what we were going to be able to bring to it and really getting off my first film, I really just wanted it to be fun. Fun for me, fun for these guys and the crew, you know, so uh, that's kind of a large driving factor. And it was really strong. The, the treatment was really strong. We said, this this is something I think people could get behind and, and it'll be good. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it began as Richard Marks, and you were and you're talking, um, I also, I realized there's a version of, uh, I, I think it's a, oh, uh, do, What's the one that actually has the opening video? Um, don't let go. Don't, don't let go. go. I'm begging don't you let please. go. When he's playing, when he's composing it, it also sounds like Jesse's girl. It so, does. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> which was hilarious. Don't let go. Um, how did it? You know, if it started as Richard Marks and then it evolves, at what point did it evolve to Holland Oaks? I mean, I heard your answer last night, but I think people yeah, sure. I mean, I was yeah. researching them and you know, reading articles about them and interviews with them and. I love Hall and Oates, don't get me wrong, but there was a couple things, you know, they initially... No, you had to love them. Right. That's, a, that's an affectionate pairing. Truly, no I mean, question. true hit makers, but, you know, Rich Girl was originally wrote Rich Boy, and they're, from what I read, the record producer's like, we should probably change it to Rich Girl. And it's like, are these guys, like, a little really? off? Yeah. yeah. No, I yeah. didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, and so it's just like, oh, that's sweet, they're so talented and not very bright. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then once we got into casting... Um, Mike Olivier and Barrett Craig showed up, and it's like, well, we found them—the young version of Hall and Oates. And yeah. Here they are. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I mean, and to be perfectly honest, kind of part of my vision, um, you know, was a little bit different for BJ in terms of what he looked like and kind of his persona. Um, and so Michael kind of came in, and it was like, oh, we'll give this guy a shot. He doesn't, you know, I'm not really feeling it necessarily. And he just absolutely killed it from the very first moment he started reading lines, and I was like. Wow. Okay. Never mind. This is our guy. You know, this is him. So it just and then it just dovetailed so nicely into the Hall Oates thing that it was like, it really, it really happened in this like great, great moment of you know, things coming together. So it was awesome. Yeah. There were there were multiple levels of like kind of that kismet uh, happening that these two guys ended up look the perfect actors mm-hmm. looked like Hall and Oates. You know, there were other things like the art department chose the same pink as the as the person who designed the wardrobe for the BJ Maxx scene. You know, just a lot of these random things that just really lined up that perfectly. That people wouldn't think about. Right, so, right. Yes. And then yeah, you exactly. managed to get a couple of 80s 
eye content. You mentioned last night that you you know watched Karate Kid over and over. Yeah, yeah. And so, then you get Martin Cove. Right. So that was one of the things where I found out that we had a connection of a connection of a connection. You know, one of these things where we could get the script in front of him, we could get an offer to him, and immediately I'm like, we have to have him. Like, absolutely have to have him. So we went out of our way to, like, make that happen, because I knew I needed him, and I, I wanted him so badly from this, all this, you know, the inspiration being Karate Kid, I said, you know, Martin's Martin's the guy, you know, no mercy, and we gotta get him, and he loves it, and it's so good, and he, he still embraces that culture and that, you know, the fandoms of that. I mean, he does signings, you know, as Sensei all the time. Yeah, he seems and, to be very I mean, open to his fandom. Yeah, yeah absolutely, he loves it. And, and I mean, if he signed an autograph for you right now, he'd say, no mercy, Martin Cove, you know, so it, he's just really into it. So I, so I said, we gotta get that guy, so we kind of started there, and and then built built up around him, and yeah. you know, and and um, and John was kind of came on at the end, which is my last minute favorite addition. casting, yeah. because I think he's a, truly an underrated character actor. You know, Definitely. he's one of those that guy guys. And last night I was so gratified. He was killing it. Like, mm-hmm. almost every line he has and every pause, people were just dying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. There's so much footage where he just kind of kept going with things, and it's like, what, what do we cut? You know, so we, can't, have the we can't make a 20-minute scene right now. Yeah, I, yeah. Would like, I would like 20 minutes you, with him. Yeah, it, it, is, it is really good. And he, he has some fun moments where he just kind of spirals out of control into some, into some <laughs> rant, and all of, a, all of a sudden he's singing opera or something. Like, wait, 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 come on back. <laughs> we, we have so, a script you need to kind of... Well, well, yeah. so I, I kind of cut you off in praising that choice, but... How did you make that choice? You say you came into the end, but well, we we're—I mean, we were kind of looking for someone who who had some '80s cred to play that role because he was a little bit older guy. So we figured we could get somebody who was '80s, um, and, and you know, we were just kind of looking for the right fit. Um, and and for a while, we were talking with uh, Justin. Oh, from the the, the kid in Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, that's right. Justin right Henry. Yes, yes Henry. Justin, thank you. So, why do I know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I watched him. Um, so, so, for a while, we were kind of like, he was kind of high on the list, and we were thinking about maybe making that happen. He'd you been know? younger, yeah. Right, yeah. right. So, so we, were li- we liked that a lot, but then we had a connection um, to John through one of our co producers who had worked with him on another feature. And so we said, hey, you know, maybe John would be interested in this. And we got him the script, and he loved it. And yeah, it was, you know, the, it kind was, of the rest is kind of history. Yeah, the, the deal was almost structured for uh, Justin Henry. And uh, a friend of mine, Brian Hoffman, was kind of looking over my, at my shoulder. And he's like, well, if you're going to put that for Justin Henry, let me talk with John and see. And John loved the script and, and, and came on. That, that's, that's great. I mean, that was that makes me so inspired. Um, did you find any difficulty in kind of recreating the 80s milieu in uh, L.A.? Uh, where you're actually, you're in Sino, you're in down in San Diego. Yeah, you guys were out of San Diego. Which yeah, also, yeah, right. We shot most of the the movie in and around San Diego, kind of the greater San Diego area. Um, and you know what? As far as like the look and the feel, Jason Casvardi, our the production designer, like just killed it. I mean, he came with with so much stuff. So much of his personal collection is in the movie. I mean, all the you know, he did all the paintings. He did all the set decoration. It was really, really incredible. And like we went to, we would not have been able to pull it off without him. And he was really very much like you know, just wound him up and let him go and do his thing because you know it didn't. He didn't require much supervision or direction, which was awesome. Well, yeah, really that's another thing. That production design, my. Uh as I said, you know, I was at UCLA in the 80s. My college RA has commented over and over on the Facebook when I post, like, Nagel paintings just kill it. Like, she was always getting mad that everybody had Nagels up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so great. So. They're, they're amazing. They're in our offices right now. We love them. They're, they're just bright, and they're, 
they're so nice. They're huge. And they're so, <laughs> and they're so 80s. I mean, they are just so, so 80s. Right. And I, I think I mentioned it last night. He created those while working as the art director on set. So he would take, all right, I'm going to go take 10 minutes and go paint. And so he put 40 hours in while working a full-time job to paint those two Nagel paintings, which, uh, you know, we cherish those. those. Those are amazing. The movie would not be the same without yeah. right. Um, of course not. So, here you are, you had your world premiere last night, and then what is the next step for Eternity the Movie? Because the front, you know, for people listening is, I'm telling everybody, I've got people on the East Coast saying, I want to see this movie, how the heck are they going to get to see it? Sure. Uh, well, we're, do, we're doing the film festival circuit probably throughout, you know, for a full, probably a year. Um, I know we'll be doing Los Angeles most likely. San Diego has been very warm to us. Um, the, the unfortunate thing is that we need kind of the buzz to keep happening through these interviews and things to get people to say, hey, I want that at my festival. And uh, Cinequest, you know, they saw something in it that I, these other festivals aren't seeing, unfortunately. And, um, and the they fools! brought... Fools! Yeah. Fools, I say! Sundance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, this is part oh, of the please. buzz Sundance that... is so played out. <laughs> I don't, who wants to get but, there? But we've, we've applied. You know, we're looking to get into festivals on the East Coast for sure. We're trying to hit Boston. We have a good contingent in Chicago, so at the very least, we'll four-wall something and get it shown in Chicago and do a screening. Yep. Um, but hopefully we get into some of those festivals and a couple back east. We're looking in you know, the northern, northeastern seaboard, and uh, hopefully we get into some of those, and then we'll do it that way. And if not, you know, we'll probably do it, end up doing a showing in Boston I would guess um, and, then, and then one in Chicago for sure and you know hopefully hopefully we can gain some traction with the soundtrack as well and get some maybe some airplay and uh, hopefully get, build some word of mouth that way okay yeah. uh, and, and the, you guys are out of San Diego which I think people why aren't you working in LA I mean why why are you down in San Diego doing this uh, we live in San Diego I mean Eric and I live in San Diego and, and, <laughs> and, and love San Diego quite honestly um, yeah. there's there are fewer roadblocks to production certainly um, we don't have all the infrastructure in terms of you know the prop houses and the easy equipment rentals and access to some of those things. But you know we brought a lot of our crew down from LA, so we got the talent and then just brought them somewhere where it was comfortable and convenient, and you know don't have to pay for permits and things like that. So we, we <laughs> kind of saved a lot of money by bringing it local to us, which okay. was which was great for us. And and, 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 the, and the businesses are very accepting. You know these type of things don't happen in San Diego. It's really unfortunate they they closed down the San Diego a Film Commission. Uh, which made it a little more difficult, but right, which we lost ours as well. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, and, that, and that's just really unfortunate because it's 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 such a task to get that going again. So, um, you know, Ian and I as filmmakers, and Joey's in LA, but uh, Ian and I as filmmakers in San Diego, you know, kind of are, are trying to champion that. Like, this is it's beautiful weather year round. You know, it's got all the locations. Um, but, yeah, it would be a great. Place and it's ninety to miles from LA. It's it's ridiculous that there's not more going on there. Um, so, you know, we're, we're going to make it happen. You know, we have our production company there, and I think that's where we're going to stay. All right. And what's the production company going to do next? Do we have Eternity 2, the comeback? <laughs> <laughs> we're actually, the, the prequel. Yeah, we're actually yeah. considering the prequel. prequel, more likely than... <laughs> Todd, Todd Lucas in Omaha. <laughs> <laughs> Late 70s, early 80s. I'm ready for it. No, I'm ready to start, start writing some <laughs> funk. <laughs> you take off of the Daryl's house stuff. Ah, yes. Yeah. Such a great show. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're hoping to connect up with them as well, Hall and Oates. They were they were in town last they were night in this the in this hotel. Yeah, and then, my God. And we there, we we had we had a, so uh, a publicity director of Cinequest, Kyle Burt, had a conversation yeah. with Daryl, and he wasn't able to make the premiere, but he wants a screener. So uh, we're more than happy to <laughs> we'll go over there. We'll and, get Daryl a screener. Yeah, we'll exactly. make that happen. I, I got, got up early bumps. this yeah. morning just in case Kyle had made a meeting happen. <laughs> you know, give me your number so I can call you and you can be witness it. I'm sorry. That, that didn't work because yeah, right. it will happen. Oh yeah, we'll oh, see. Oh, yeah, yeah. We 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 we've been kind of the same circle.
circle. Uh, Barrett Craig, the lead actor um, who plays Todd Lucas, actually met John Oates, and John, of course, was like, "Oh, I want I want to check it out when it's done." And so you know, you get those those connections. Hopefully, they're like, "Oh wait, I did hear about that." Yeah, let me let me check that out finally. Yeah. So hopefully that does happen. Well, great. Well, we are thrilled that you're here. We, we're, you know, again, like as uh, if this gets out on Thursday, there will still be one last chance if you're local to San Jose at uh, four thirty, four forty-five, four forty-five on Friday. Yes, uh, and and Michael will be here, right? Correct. Michael uh, Olivier yes. will be here for the show. Okay, so uh, if you want to meet the uh, the the next best thing to John Oates, <laughs> will be here. Yes, uh, yes, he will be here, and uh, so. We're so so glad you guys could sit down with us and thrilled to be helping promote you. Well, thanks for loving our movie. Yeah, thank yeah, you for thank having us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Definitely you guys have been great to us, and uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the film. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. So that was a heck of a lot of fun, guys. So I like those guys. Yeah. You know, I've just enjoyed. That's the I've enjoyed Cinequest. The rest of my of my days have been like. Okay, when can I walk down and uh, <laughs> hang out? Here? I'm going to see you At guys. I'm going to talk to you guys. You know, it's awesome. Uh, and so, yeah, if you're uh, in the San Jose or Bay Area and you aren't getting down here for a day or two of Cinequest, you're really missing out. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some, you know, and then by being at Cinequest, you're also going to see more of what San Jose has to offer. And again, I still think, for whatever reason, San Jose is like this secret little arts community that nobody knows about and even when they live in San Jose we need to Cinequest is a fantastic uh, vanguard for it so anyway thanks everybody for being here uh, tonight if you are listening to this on iTunes then you already know we're available on iTunes please subscribe please share with your friends and please go ahead and give us a rating you can hear us on the Stitcher app or you can find us at www.fanboyplanet.com and while you're there you know hosting does cost so if you see the little PayPal button go ahead and feel free to click and make a donation or if you've heard about something that's available on Amazon and you cannot find it at your local comic shop or you don't have a local comic shop please feel free to use the Amazon links that are, are liberally sprinkled throughout the Fanboy Planet <laughs> website. Uh, and uh, I think... Fun fact there, if you follow a link in on something you decide not to buy it, you can go buy something else and that's that'll true. carry over. We add. <laughs> so buy your See, groceries. Buy your blenders. <laughs> what, really? New um, socks, underwear. Okay, if, you, if you've learned to eat better because of bite size, buy there those groceries. Yeah, exactly. Amazon. And, uh, and of course, and if you have fresh. questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism... Write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. We are still running the competition to find the answer to what's wrong with Rick or what's and what's wrong with, wrong with Chris Garcia. No, we know what's wrong with Derek. Uh, no, that's right. We know what's wrong with Chris. That's, that's it. Right. Everybody knows. And, uh, Anyway, uh, yes, uh, once again, give yourselves uh, one last voice check for yourself. You oh, are. Uh, I'm Matt Jackson. I was the director of Love in the Time of Monsters. And Corbin Billings, director of Bite Size. And I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And I'm Rick Bretzneider, reminding you to use your powers only for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. Don't tell me, don't tell me. Oh, no, 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 damn it, damn it, damn it.
So they are going to. They have a podcast. They'd like to. Uh, Family planet. Okay, we yes. can do it here. Oh. We can do right here. Exactly. It'll, It'll look good for the photo op. This is the Excellent. knee bit. Yep. That's, just, that's okay. the bit. All right. So we're rolling. We're going. Okay. Uh, so we are here with uh, Neil Gaiman. Huge honor. And he received an honor today, which is the... You see it in a comic book shop. And Cafe Stretch sometimes, but Cafe Stretch started doing jazz on, on Wednesday night. So yeah, it's a little harder to get into Stretch. It's harder. Um, and sometimes it's a living room, and sometimes there's a place in in San Jose called the Seven Stars Bar and Grill which is Star Wars themed. Oh, that's so we Wait, here in town? Yeah. We what? record so we record in we front of go. a giant uh, job of the hut that, uh. that originally actually had a keg inside it so he would you know spit out but it, it broke. The the, the pipe what? broke. Is it here still? We can go It's to this? there. It's there. It's it's outside of downtown. Yeah, I if you guys have a car so you can totally yeah. go there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, oh then you tell Paul that we sent you. Yeah. Um, because I know people who listen to our podcast are like uh, you know, don't, we're, do not leave without getting and perhaps just sharing a linguisa corn dog. It is their specialty. Oh, wow. they are, and you could share that. You could actually get a sharp knife and cut it up into three pieces. And you, you and have, well, it's a nice little uh, snack. You don't want to share after you had a bite of it. No. Well, you're all going to order another one anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do it. I say cut out the middle, you know, and just, just go right to everybody. I like people to get convinced themselves. <laughs> sure. You were so, so right. We had four So, more. yeah, it's like he just put up, like, all those action figures, and then he started painting the poles to look like the Death Star. Oh, and man. the bathroom has a Death Star attack uh, diorama that he's, he's working on. It's still a work in sure. progress. But, you okay, know. You sound good. I sound horrible. That's fine. I want to hear you. Okay. Uh, so where's this place at again? You're good. You're good. It's on Bascom Avenue. So if you were to go here, you just go down and hit 280 and take to, uh, is it a Bascom exit? Uh, you go 282. Yeah, but really, makes it, if you have funky, a map, but, uh, uh, a map what's it called? Seven Stars Bar Actually, and Grill. Actually, the way you'd want to go is just get out to San Carlos. We'll let the map do it. Yeah, it would take and San head, Carlos to head west down. until yeah. you hit Bascom. And then turn left. And San Carlos will, if, it, if San Carlos changes to Stevens Creek, you've gone too far. It is, sadly, between the defunct. X-rated movie theater. It's not defunct. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah the Burbank. It's not defunct. I was there the and other day. The, yeah. And the currently very active strip club. So you know, hey, in the middle of this nice later. place that you. Well, you know, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah. Well, there's nothing. We like don't go there. Life. We just yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Oh, should we not cuss? You know, yes. you can mild, mild cussing like damn yeah. or whatever. Uh, it's okay. okay. Try not to drop the f bomb. If you do, I'll drop some sound over it. <laughs> oh, well, then, and, and it's only case, and it's only because then it you. limits who can. Yeah, it, but it's just I just want to know beforehand yeah. so I don't you know not even consider it. Yeah, cool. It's Kyle. Up, Kyle? Hey. How's it going? That's the best man of Cinequest. No, <laughs> we're getting famous every day. We'll always be you. Kyle's going to be in the outtakes. Thank you so much. Right. Kyle's going to be in the outtakes. We're recording. <laughs> okay, we're going. So, all uh, right. And I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And we're not going to go to mine right yet because I'm going to tell <laughs> you. Know, I'm gonna, they got to no. We end the show by everyone saying, not yelling. 
use your powers only for good. I will say I'm Rick Snyder and reminding you to use your powers only for good. There you go. And I'm Rick Snyder reminding you to use your powers only for good. The music comes out of the We have this great filled music version of what's the... Well, isn't Luke Ski Phil? No, 